Radio Mano Papachango. Before I even start ranting, let me throw some music at you. This is uh, Negro y Bo by Donnie Elwood. You're going to dig this. <laughs> C'est la chanson de Coco Il la chantait dans le métro Le métro des quartiers chauds Quartiers chauds de Chicago Moi je suis négro Et je suis bon Il y a Oroloun à Coro On dit qu'un négro n'est jamais bon Coming at you from Topanga Canyon, California, once again. I'm using some new stuff here. I got a new mic. Uh, I am also using a new uh, recording program software situation. Hindenburg, it's called. I'm trying their 30 day free trial. <clears throat> so let me know how this sounds to you. They claim that if you use this software, you don't need a sound engineer. Uh, I've got Danny, who's been helpfully um, engineering these tracks low these many months. Um, But sometimes it's a pain in the ass. Danny's got other shit to do. I record something and I want to throw it up right away because it's time sensitive or whatever. And uh, so if this program is as good as they say it is and eliminates the need to impose upon Danny, then uh, maybe I'll stick with it. Anyway, let me know if you notice any significant differences in the sound quality, not of the intro so much, um, but of the interviews, because Danny never really looked, dealt with the intros anyway. I just put, slapped them up and, you know, put the podcast up. Um, but he, he dealt with the sound files from the interviews. So if you notice any uh, big difference in the sound quality, better or worse, Please don't hesitate to let me know. Appreciate all that kind of feedback. Uh, I also appreciate, as you know, uh, the Amazon support that you guys have been throwing my way. It's gone up significantly in the last few months. Uh, it may just be a Christmas glitch, um, but if it's not, wonderful. It's great. And, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. I get emails from people all the time, as you know, and I'm going to read two of them today. And one of them is essentially giving me shit about the Amazon sponsorship and the other is giving me shit about guns. But they're two very different approaches to giving me shit. So we'll get into that in a minute. But before we do, I just want to reiterate my appreciation and gratitude for those of you who do uh, make sure that you sp- you go through my portal or that you've gone through my portal once and then uh, bookmarked your Amazon landing page because 
that's money that would just be scooped up by Amazon otherwise. It's free money. It's like walking by a $10 bill lying on the street. And uh, so I appreciate it very much when you pick it up and stick it in the uh, the kitty for the podcast. It's uh, very helpful. Nice to uh, to be getting a little bit of income from the podcast. Certainly not, um, you know, nobody's getting rich on making podcasts, but it's nice to uh, to feel like it's paying for itself anyway, and it's not a it's not a losing proposition economically. Anyway, we are still in Topanga Canyon, and uh, still sort of wondering what's going on. We thought we were going to Thailand. If you listen to the last episode, I talked about that a little bit. Last minute cancellation of plans. Here we are in LA. We're meeting with people, talking to people. Interesting stuff going on. Uh, you heard a lot about that in the last episode. Another advantage of living in LA is you get to hang out with really cool people, including this week's guest, Jake Johansson, who is a comic, who's a buddy of uh, Roger Nygaard, who was on the podcast a few months ago. He's the TV editor, uh, worked on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's working on Veep right now. Really cool guy. And essentially, I got a phone call from him when we were still up in Portland saying, hey, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I, said, I don't know. He said, well, a friend of mine's going to be in town. He's playing at uh, Helium Club, and he listens to your podcast. And on the plane up to, to Portland, he heard you and me talking and like, whoa, this guy lives in Portland. And anyway, long story short, do you and Casilda want to go see him at Helium? So we did. He was fantastic. Um, his humor is is precisely the kind of humor I really like, which is, you know, obviously creative and outlandish and ridiculous and, and, you know, all the wonderful things that humor has to be to be successful, but also very, very smart. He's a, he's a brilliant guy and he really makes you think he's been in comedy a long time. He's a, you know, a bit of a grizzled veteran like me at this point. Uh, he's watched people like Joe Rogan and Duncan come up through the through the ranks, and uh, he's a wonderful guy. And uh, so we recorded this at his place, and then we had I think this was the day after it was either the day after Christmas or the day after New Year's. I don't remember. It was the day after one of those holidays, and we had um, gumbo. He had made all this uh, New Orleans food, and we met his wife and his daughter, and it was wonderful. Anyway, so. That's the thing about L.A. It's it's this city that I really don't like. I don't like the way people drive here. They take advantage of any act of kindness gets just subsumed in the sort of sea of animosity and anxiety that's all over the place in this city that's flooding the city. You know, you let someone, you pause to let someone get into your lane and, and they don't even, it's like they think they took advantage of you somehow. It's just a fucked up situation here. But, but probably 15 of my favorite 20 people on the planet live here. So what are you going to do? It's a, it's a strange situation. Anywho, now let's get to these emails. Um, because they're they're illustrative of the way people interact uh, with people they don't know. So one of them, uh, and and these are these are sort of uh, examples, but I get lots of emails that are similar in tone and in content to these. Uh, so I thought it might be fun to just instead of reading poetry to do a little email analysis this week. Um, so here's one. 
from a guy named Jeff. He says, hello, first off, thank you for putting your ideas out into the world. Um, and, uh, Secondly, I wanted to ask you what your take is on one aspect of civilization you and I partake in and how that ties into your life journey. What I'm referring to is the company that is Amazon. As a husband and father of two, there are so many moments where I contemplate where I'm at, what direction I'm headed. I question whether I'm moving in the right or wrong directions. And daily decisions can sometimes seem like battles between positive and negative. Okay, so look at the way Jeff has framed this. First of all, he said... He and I both face the same conundrum. Secondly, he's explained why it's important to him. He's a father. He's trying to raise kids that uh, interact with life in a way that's positive and meaningful. And, um, and he's trying to figure out how these, all the little daily decisions we make add up to uh, creating the world we live in. He, he goes on. You in some way partner with Amazon. If people buy from Amazon through your portal, a portion comes back to support your podcast. Let me first say that I shop on Amazon. I am in no way making any accusations or trying to claim any moral high ground. I'm just expounding on one of the millions of questions that trickle through my <clears throat> through my mind over the course of my life. Okay, so he goes on to say, you know, Amazon's a not a wonderful com com uh, company. They There's a lot of indication that their workers are not treated so wonderfully. There are some problems at the warehouses. Um, it's a company that's supplanting mom and pop stores. It's a company that's probably having a negative effect on uh, employment rates in the United States because it supplants these stores. It's essentially another Walmart, but without even, you know, the Walmart locations to employ people at miserable wages. Those are good points. And, uh, and it's true that there is some moral ambiguity about the fact that I decided to drop all advertising, but continue to encourage you to use my Amazon portal. Um, it's not a perfect solution. Here's how I look at it. First off, I would never encourage you to sign up for Amazon if you aren't already signed up for Amazon or it's not something that you're already planning to do. So my pitch to you is, hey, if you use Amazon anyway, and that's a decision that you're making based upon your own morality, your own vision of the way the world works, the way trends happen, the way things are encouraged or discouraged by consumer behavior and all those sorts of things. If you're already using Amazon, then I would appreciate it if you clicked through my portal and we would get, you know, a certain percentage of whatever you spend to support the podcast. Don't spend more than you would otherwise, but if it's something you're already doing, then hey, that would be great. In fact, if you don't use Amazon, but you know people who do, and you tell them, hey, you know, you buy all this shit on Amazon. Why don't you click through this guy Chris's podcast and bookmark the landing thing, and then everything you spend there will support this podcast that I like, and I, I can't afford to support it, but that'll sort of help him out and, you know, in my behalf. Great. Why not? Personally, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I do see that Amazon has a potentially negative effect, but I kind of feel like this is the way the world is going. I feel like this sort of web-based sales and, 
you know, the overnight delivery and the huge warehouses out in the middle of nowhere. And that's the way it's going for these sorts of products. And I don't think that we're going to change the course of commercial history by refusing to use Amazon. Uh, I think we'd be better off given the course of history and the flow of, uh, of the way things are going. I think we'd be better off instead of swimming against that stream turning, as I think I said last week and swimming downstream and trying to avoid the, the snags and the rocks in the middle of the river. So I feel like the way to go is the way we're going there's some old, uh, I think it was an American Indian expression. It's much easier to ride a horse in the direction it's going. <laughs> you can't argue with that. And I think this horse is going in the direction of large warehouse internet-based sales. So I think that's the way it's going. And I think what we should be doing is agitating for a minimum uh, standard income for everyone. I've been tweeting about this recently and it's something that I've included in Civilized to Death um, which is off being edited right now so we'll see if it makes it into the final version but I think this is um, an important possibility and I think it's something that would uh, revolutionize lives in a very positive way if everybody in the United States, Canada, Europe, and any other country that has the wherewithal to, to do this, everybody gets whatever, 1500 bucks a month just for being alive. So there's no, there's, that would supplant the social services of welfare, food stamps, all that business. Just everybody who's alive gets a check for 1500 bucks every month. Now, if you don't want to work, you don't want to do anything else, then you can just hang out and live on your 1500 bucks. It's not a lot, but you know, you can rent a room, you can share a house and uh, you can get by on that. Uh, if you do want to earn more than that, that's fine. If you want to make art, that's fine. Whatever the fuck you want to do, your basic subsistence is taken care of. I think that's the way we go. So those generators of wealth are going to exist like companies like Amazon that have very few employees and a massive volume. So they're going to be generating a lot of wealth. I think we're better off trying to redirect that wealth into a sort of standard minimal income for all citizens than we are in trying to stop Amazon from existing and growing or other companies like that. Anyway, my main point in reading this letter was that this guy's cool. This is a cool guy. I wrote back to him. We had a dialogue for a little while, and uh, and we talked about this stuff. Now, here's another email that's typical of emails that I get. Uh, I won't say this guy's name because I'm going to give him shit. Uh, it says, I really, here's how it starts. I really wish you would stop with anti-gun rhetoric. Okay, so the first thing he's doing is telling me what I should be doing on my podcast, which, by the way, he could stop listening to it any moment, uh, and he's not being charged for, but okay. Your argument isn't well thought out, especially for someone of your intellect. Ah, I hate that. I hate that. When someone says, you know, for someone as smart as you, that's a really dumb thing to say. It's like, okay, fuck you. 
that's uh you know when when you wrap your it's like giving a pill to a dog when you wrap it in meat and think the dog doesn't notice there's a pill in there well i noticed uh and then the next one is repeat after me there is no gun problem in the u.s repeat after me yeah like everything about this email seems designed to make me not like the person who's writing it. It's insulting. It's uh, manipulative. It's talking to me as if I'm an idiot, even though he said someone of your intellect in the last uh, sentence. He goes on, this, there's no gun problem in the U.S. It is a complete fabrication used to scare people for political beliefs. And then in parentheses, terrorism. No idea what the fuck that's about. Uh, and then there's a graphic representation, which was just idiotic. Um, so he goes on with this, why all the noise about guns anyways? If saving lives is important to you, maybe you should recommend we ban cars. There's an interesting argument. You'd save more lives that way, and you wouldn't be ignoring the Constitution. Except for the fact that cars actually have a use other than killing people, and they're not designed to kill people. Um, But yeah, I'm not going to go on with this gun thing, because honestly, I'm not really that anti-gun. I just think that the United States has devolved to a situation... Uh, largely because of the NRA, where you can't have a rational conversation about these things without exciting the ire of a bunch of fucking lunatics and idiots. I have a, a phone that no one can steal from me and use to call me with because there's a fingerprint recognition thing on the back. So you can't take my phone from me and then use it. Now, don't tell me you can't make guns like that. And don't tell me that that technology hasn't been around for a long time so that if a kid breaks into your gun cabinet and steals the gun, as kids do, as I did when I was a kid, that they're not going to be able to shoot themselves or each other with these guns because of the fingerprint technology. That's there. It exists. The reason it doesn't exist in guns is because the NRA will not allow even the smallest common sense move toward background checks, toward not giving guns to felons and fucking lunatic uh, mental health patients and the rest of them. Nothing against mental health patients, but I don't think they should be buying guns. So these are two ways to interact with people. One is insulting and fucking um, manipulative and absolutely has no impact upon my thinking whatsoever and will have no impact upon anyone's thinking other than to entrench them in the belief that you, Mr. Pro-Gun person, are a fucking idiot who still feels the need to, you know, school me as if you see things that I can't possibly understand. And the other is a legitimate, uh, thoughtful, approach to asking a legitimate question and even lodging a legitimate complaint. So there you have it. If you're going to buy your gun at Amazon, please do it through my portal. I hear Amazon has a great deal on AR-15s. Unbelievable. Last time I shot a gun, I drove the scope into my forehead and had to be taken to the emergency room. Maybe that's why I'm anti-gun. I I hurt myself with one. Uh, Okay, where are we? All right, last bit of uh, housekeeping. 
As I said, I sent the manuscript off to my editor. He's looking at it now. We're not sure about the subtitle. So I don't know how to set up a survey or anything like that. But if you have an opinion on these subtitles, I'd love to hear them. You can tweet them at me. You can send them through the contact page, uh, the contact link at my website, chrisoryanphd.com. Uh, you can put them up on Facebook if you follow me on Facebook, Chris Ryan. Christopher Ryan, whatever it is. Um, Anyway, here are some of the subtitles. The title of the book is Civilized to Death. And the original subtitle that I wanted to use is the Louis C.K. line from his great riff about modernity, which is, why everything's amazing but nobody's happy. My editor made the point that happiness, happy... Happy's a weak, flaccid kind of word, and it uh, refers to a sort of genre of nonfiction science books that have come out in the last decade or so, stumbling on happiness, all these books about what is happiness, how to get happiness, how to cultivate happiness in your life. And that's sort of played out from a publishing perspective, and he didn't want people to think that this was a latecomer to that genre, because it's obviously not. I think that's a good point. So... One slight uh, tweak on that would be civilized to death, why everything's amazing but nobody's satisfied. Hmm? Possibility. Uh, Another, civilized to death, prehistory, progress, and the modern predicament. You've got the alliteration there with the P's, P-P-P. And I like the word predicament. I think that's a good word. And the my editor said it would he thought it would be important to get prehistory and progress in the subtitle because these days subtitles aren't just to tell you what's in the book they're also to help with google searches um to have you know uh, the pop up in a google search if somebody looks you know is searching prehistory or progress they'll come up right uh, the book will come up if it's got those words in the subtitle So those are the two, I would say, finalists. Others are um, The Case Against Progress or Prehistoric Dreams and the Delusion of Progress. Uh, Another one that's a little more wordy is Reconsidering Prehistory, Questioning Progress, and Understanding Modern Despair. Yeah, that might be a little too much. Um, And then there's just Civilized to Death, Prehistory, Progress, and Despair. I don't know. That, to me, feels like the despair is kind of left out there and you don't really know where it's coming from. So, again, the two finalists are Civilized to Death, Why Everything's Amazing But Nobody's Satisfied, and Civilized to Death, comma, or colon, Prehistory, Progress, and the Modern Predicament. So if you have any thoughts on that, I'd be more than happy to hear them. Again, through Twitter, Facebook, or just send me an email um, through the uh, contact link uh, at chrisryanphd.com. All right. I hope you enjoy this episode with the great Jake Johansson, uh, and I hope I don't screw it up too much with this new software. We'll see. Catch you next week. Do you, do you want me to spell it? <laughs> How do you spell Jake? Yeah, <laughs> that was the easy one, I think. Yeah. yeah. Johansson. All right. This is great. I'm oh, I in Jake up. Johansson's secret lair. Uh, with uh, It's amazing. It's As you said, it's like the inside of your brain. It's got a lot of um, mementos from, well, I don't know, 
I'm a little bit, I, I, pack rep maybe isn't the right thing because I'm trying to get rid of stuff. I'm jealous a little bit of your life that you're kind of completely relocating and going someplace new. Yeah, yeah, it sounds great from outside. How does it feel? Uh, stressful, stressful. I was telling you, like, I think today is, today's what, Friday? Saturday? I don't know. It's, the it's day hard after. to keep track of the day of the week around the holidays because it, it feels yeah. like, so it's the day after Christmas, which feels like it should be a Sunday, but it's not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, in any case, uh, in like four days, we're supposed to fly to Thailand. But yesterday, I got an email from a friend saying, uh, he's uh, doing a film, and he's, he's like, Dude, you're not going to believe it. We got this huge budget. You're going to have to cancel your trip to Thailand. You guys have to be in this movie. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, I'll be in Mexico till the 28th. I'll be back and we can talk about it in person. Like, <laughs> So are you going to stay now to have that conversation? Or well, we're not you... scheduled to leave till the 30th. Okay. So uh, we'll be here anyway. But what it means is like the day before we're supposed to fly out, we'll be deciding whether or not we're flying out. He's going to try and talk you out of it. Yeah, and he's already uh, dumped a bunch of money in my PayPal account, so that's, uh, there's that. Wow, i got to figure out how people can dump. <laughs> I have a PayPal account, but I need, I need to feel, figure out that whole dumping thing. <laughs> yeah, get a dumper. <laughs> that must feel good. Well, he's a really interesting cat. Uh, I won't say his name. I don't think he wants his name to be used publicly, but he's a really interesting guy. He, um, he went to uh, Stanford and then Harvard Law. Got out and got a job, you know, six-figure, massive income with some big law company or law firm here in L.A. Was doing that, uh, I don't know, five, six years, something like that. And he and his buddy from, I don't know if it was high school or college, had always had this dream that they were going to go to Peru together. And so it came together. They went to Peru. And, of course, on their trip to Peru, they decided to do some ayahuasca. That's the reason that you go to Peru now. Now, yeah, I don't know what it was like. I don't know if that was the motivating reason. I don't think he'd had experience with hallucinogens previously, so I think it was sort of he got there and it, he got there and met said, some people and like, oh, that sounds like fun and really, yeah, I, because it's I I half have my wife sold on the ayahuasca idea, mm. but then she jumped on board so quickly that then I thought, well, is this really something that I want to do? Like, you're going you're gonna to throw up and crap your pants. So and you're one of those guys? Like, she says yes, and then you reconsider? I'm just in a slight... Well, the, the reality of us flying to Peru to uh -huh. spend five days sleeping yeah. in our underpants on a mattress while we've got diarrhea in a bucket and some guy singing songs to us, I, I just... Yeah. The reality of it actually happening is kind of slight, but... There are ways to have that experience, I think, without going to Peru now. Yeah, but it's not the same experience. Uh, not that you have to go to Peru. Um, but you need a shaman. You need the guy who... Yeah, I think the ritualistic container is an important part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and people change their diet three weeks out and then one week out, you know. And then the, the dislocation out of your normal life and, you know, okay, we're getting on a plane. We're going to right. Mexico or Brazil or Peru or wherever it is. You know, I think that's part of the experience that that ends up sort of um, what's the word attenuating the ex it, it it like a turbocharge to. Well, you're trying else. to achieve some kind of awakening or transition point in your life. I mean, I think most people go there to have that experience because 
there's something that they want to quit doing or start doing or wake up to. Yeah. And so when you do that fast, I've read about the diet thing online, and it's part of it is, yes, you're you're getting stuff out of your body to make the thing that you're going to, the ayahuasca more effective, but it also you're, it, you're subconsciously saying, look, I'm on this journey and I right. want this and I'm taking the steps that are necessary to make this yeah. happen. Yeah, making some sacrifices, changing, disrupting right. my patterns, yeah. Anyway, so he did this, he had this experience and it, it blew his mind and he came back and quit his job and uh, he had been investing a lot of money in defense contractors and, you know, sort of evil uh -huh. evil companies that his firm was working to defend their interests and all that. And he just pulled out of everything, sold the stocks and, um, and uh, moved to Thailand, uh, married a Thai woman and uh, got a bunch of his, he had some friends who were, um, had like friends from childhood who had gone into heroin and he got in touch with them and said, let me help you. And he sent them to these Ibogaine uh, Center in Mexico. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, about Ibogaine. Yes. So, and then they became part of his crew, you know. He basically saved them. And uh, now he is just all about spreading light and love and using all this money that he saved up uh, and, you know, so selling the stocks. I think he's, like, well into six figures, you know, funding. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's, like, he just opened... Um, a float center in Bangkok, the first float center ever. And he's a huge fan of Joe and Duncan and that whole, you know. Well, that's the next thing that I want. I did the yeah. I did the float tank, you know, years ago when that movie came out. The yeah, Altered William States. Hurt. Yeah. yeah. And and I tried it a little bit, but now that I've tried meditation and I'm I'm a little more a little older and ready. I, I want to try the, one of those float tanks, and we're right by the one that Joe's always recommended. Oh, Crash's place. Yeah. 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 The float lab. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it sounds great. It, it, he he had the experience that I think people are going to Peru to have on purpose, which is that yeah. like I want there's something missing in the way my life is going. You know, not that that's exactly how I describe myself, but well, I, I mean, even if I think some people go to fix a problem, but I think other people go into it just wanting to learn. You know, just wanting to. Even if things are going really well, like th they can always get better. You mm -hmm. know, there's always life is this discovery, right? The process right. of discovery. I, for me, hallucinogens, I think, were a really important part of my education. And uh, for now it's more of like I, I, I look at it as a maintenance thing occasionally. I, I'll do something just to make sure I'm not completely full of shit, you know, because there's this sort of uh, merciless truthfulness about the experience right right but when i was young i i did a lot of uh well see here we run into this thing you listen to my podcast so you know all this shit. so i know some of your hallucinogenic <laughs> stories i only had a couple but that was in my 20s and then when i moved to san francisco to start doing stand-up that was such an overwhelmingly foreign thing to try and do and yeah. the stage fright and trying to be in show business yeah. from coming from the Midwest that I kind of really curtailed a lot of those behaviors and never kind of yeah. never went back to them. I yeah. mean, drinking, I'll have a few drinks. But that's... Well, I wanted to ask you about that because you're, 
I, I saw you on stage in Portland a couple weeks ago. Fantastic mm -hmm. show, by the way. That was that was such a lovely thing to you know get a call from our mutual friend saying you were in town and you knew me and you you know wanted to get us on the list and all that. And it just fell together in in like six hours. Well, the funny thing to me was I had obviously now you know that I knew who you were from hearing you on Joe and then listening to your own podcast and I knew you were in Portland and I was going up there and. So I thought, well, I'm going to Portland. This guy that I like lives in Portland. I'm going to listen to this on the plane. And then I looked at the episode and it was my friend. And yeah, so it was, that's one of the nice things about the way the world can work now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. So anyway, that was wonderful. But so I was, I was watching on stage and I was thinking your rhythm is really interesting. And then I went and I watched a bunch of YouTube stuff from, because uh -huh. I mean, you've been around a long time. I mentioned, yeah. uh, you know, that I was going to do this with you and, and my sister and my mother and they're like oh i love that guy i do that you know they they know you from way back it, yeah it's interesting to yeah. i'm the kind of famous where the people who know who who i am are they like me yeah no i you know you can when you get to be madonna or whoever <laughs> lady gaga now it's like people who don't want to know about her right. know about her that's a good know? point yeah yeah what my little taste of fame definitely falls in that category as well like if you know who I am, then you're going to say something friendly to me, generally. Right, and the people yeah. who don't like you forget about you. Or yeah, you know, because you're not in their face all the time. Yeah. They see your HBO special comes out in yeah. my case, and they yeah. watch they watch a little bit, and they go, "That's not my cup of tea." But then they don't see in the paper, go, "Oh, I remember that guy." <laughs> That's a really good point. Those different levels of fame. Yeah, yeah. Have you? How do you feel about fame? Because you've been in. I mean, you you were, when was it? You were on David Letterman like 43 times? 46 times. times 46 but times. I'm like that. My biggest, most people knowing about me was probably in the in the 90s sometime. And it never, it, it, it was always at the place of the people who recognized me. I didn't break into that like, oh, that guy, right? He's terrible. I don't like him. And so my experience has been good. But then... Of course, I know people who have that thing of like, well, you can't go to the restaurant because mm. people are coming up to them all the time. Right. Or I, I had this, I had this joke in my act where I was mentioning the Fonz in the context of reverse mortgages. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. And I was just in Milwaukee, so I graduated from high school in Lacrosse on the other side of Wisconsin. So I, I'm not trying to make fun of Midwesterners because I am one right. we're in milwaukee and they have a statue a bronze statue of the fawns on the river and it's it's a very midwestern <laughs> thing to build a statue of a fictional character from the place you're from because that's yeah. how desperate you are to go uh, yes we're here this is us and isn't henry winkler gay no he's not no he sure seems gay to me man i mean not that my gaydar is infallible but I saw him on. Can't believe something. you're saying this shit about the Fonz, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I mean, it would fit in perfectly because I, I somebody was talking about Greece, that movie Greece, recently, mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, that's Greece. John Travolta and whatever her name was the, the Australian. Uh, yeah, it's not Nicole Kidman. No, <laughs> uh, I know. I can't say her name now. Lesbian. This is she's she a, for she's real? a lesbian for sure for real like she's out i don't know if john travolta is a, a lesbian or not <laughs> do we i mean I, i'm pretty sure he's a lesbian yeah. i think that's why he's a scientologist because it keeps his lesbianism i, I would protected. say 
well, you know that rock star thing where they talk about Mick Jagger and David Bowie and that whole kind of yeah. I think there's a level you can get so famous that you've just had sex with every type of yeah, you know, person who falls into the category cuz you're just bored. There's nothing well, you're, else you're to do. Well, you're a rock star, so you've yeah. had sex with all the supermodels of all the races and yeah. then a bunch a few heavy set girls and you know, some old ladies and then you just go like <laughs> I think I'd like to have sex with a man now. Is that so weird? Yeah, I what's mean, what next? would that be like? Who's next? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and so I think John Travolta could possibly fall into that category of having yeah. been famous for so long. It's generous of you to say that. I like to be on his side, but really, that's good. Let's go back to the Fonz for a second. <laughs> Are you a Scientologist? Am I? No, 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 no. Oh. believe no. I think that Scientology is well. All the religions are crazy, but Scientology. I mean, crazy in the sense that when you kind of look at the stuff that's in the book that they, yeah. they say they believe, there's enough yeah. crazy stuff in there that you kind of... But Scientology, because it was made up so recently... It's, it's fresh. It seems like... Yeah, it yeah. seems like fresh bullshit. You, like can, the guy, you can smell it. The guy who <laughs> yeah. made this up used to be walking around yeah. during while we were alive. Yeah. Well, Mormonism has that, too. I oh, mean, my... Yeah. You know, it's pretty fresh bullshit. Yeah. The Jesus... Now, I don't know enough about it, but they got this thing where they think that Jesus was here in America with the Indians during the time when he was in the cave. Yeah. Like when he died, before he resurrected. Right. That was, and it was some kind of time expansion thing, like it was only three days there, but he was here for a longer period of time. because they got some... DMT. That'll do that. Do you know about DMT? I do. Yeah. What? Time expansion. Yeah, but that's Joseph Smith was on DMT. Is <laughs> hey, that what you're That would explain everything, wouldn't it? <laughs> I love the idea that the whole our everybody's worldview is actually, even though we're all kind of on this drug-free America thing, that we're we're all subscribing to some drug-induced hallucination. Well, or I mean, Christmas. I, I wrote this article years ago for a Spanish magazine. Oh God, that was an adventure. Yeah, I wrote. So I, anyway, I wrote this article. Uh, for this magazine, and it was um, uh, tracing Christmas to the use of Amanita muscaria mushrooms. I've heard Joe talk about that in yeah. some book that... Yeah, it's become pretty well known. This is a funny story, actually. So I write this article. It's for a Spanish version of High Times that I had a, I had a page every month in this magazine for years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was my, like the my. Thing I, the thing I love about you is that uh, you, like me, kind of got off the everybody bus a long time ago. Like yeah. I got off when I dropped out of college to go try and be a stand up comedian, but you somehow kind of stopped doing what everybody's doing and started doing your own thing, even in the context of being a mainstream dude a long time ago. Yeah. Like you had your own page. In Kanyamo, it was called, <laughs> uh -huh. the magazine. And what I did with the page was, because uh, yeah, it's all through Latin America and Spain, and, and all these these kids who are into weed and into the alternative scene and all that, but they don't know who Timothy Leary was. They don't know who Ram Dass is. They don't know, you know, the Beatles. They don't understand that Come Together was a campaign song for Timothy Leary's gubernatorial race you know i mean there's all these things that they don't know yeah, yeah, about yeah. this world that they inhabit well so, that they that, and they, and evangelize also. yeah exactly so so i was like i'm gonna write every month i'll just write about something that i know they're gonna be into that they have no fucking clue about aldous huxley you know whatever so that's what i did but th but this article so i wrote, so i wrote this article 
And then uh, it was all about, you know, the reindeer and how the reindeer eat the, the mushrooms and then the reindeer piss will make you high and that's where the flying reindeer come from. And all this, you know, and the mushrooms grow under pine trees because the pH mm -hmm. under the pine tree and that's the gifts and the stock, you know, all the, it all fits together. It's really pretty amazing. Um, and so they published it in Spanish. And then I heard about this, uh, this new magazine that was starting in Barcelona that was, that seemed pretty cool. And I contacted the editor and said, you know, I've got this article. You could use it in English because it's published in Spanish, but nobody's using it in English and I've got the copyright and you can just to help you get this magazine up and running. And she wrote back to me and we had this exchange and uh and she was funny and it kind of flirtatious and and then we decided i would write a sex advice column for her magazine because i was working on my phd at that point mm -hmm. and so i would write like a a sex advice column from a from an evolutionary perspective right and it would be called ask dr darwin and so <laughs> what would the monkey do <laughs> <laughs> so so and i i was like all right why not this will be fun and then uh and then you know and then she was like well you know make up some questions for the first few months <laughs> until we get people actually sending questions and i'm like uh -huh. no why don't you ask me some questions i'm sure you have some questions and we're sort of flirting never matter right uh-huh then out of nowhere i get this really irate email from a man saying hey you know what why don't you just do your job and you know stop trying to be funny and blah, blah. i was like who the fuck are you turns out it was her boyfriend who had read her emails and caught us flirting and then the whole magazine collapsed because he was the main investor. <laughs> oh, well, so, she is. There's a couple of mistakes to point to there, right? <laughs> so that's that's the history of my uh, sex advice giving. I, I destroyed the magazine, but I did. I did end up having sex with her for quite a while after that. Well, so he was right to be upset about this whole thing. In no. the sense that he, it was... Well, if it he was had on... been cool, it never would have happened. You see, that's the thing. Oh, do you feel like if he had just been a... I saw that <laughs> cloud of dust just came up when you hit your hand on that thing. I was like, oh, God, I got to vacuum in here a little more. Um, <laughs> There's a visual. Our listeners just missed. That's funny. Yeah, it's probably... That's good for your immune system, believe me. I know I sound like I have a little bit of a cold. You don't have a face mask or anything? <laughs> no, wear? we don't use a breather in here. It's... Uh, anyway, so I just went off on a tangent uh, about my uh, Ask Dr. Darwin. So nobody ever asked Dr. Darwin anything. But that started off where you were talking about, we were talking about crazy religious beliefs, and then you went into <laughs> the thing um, where you were writing the column in the, what nationality was oh, it? Oh, Canimo. Spanish, yeah. The Spanish yeah. High Times. And then and what, what the hell? What oh. it sounded to me like... You know, most of these crazy religions have their yeah. crazy book that they've right. been carrying around forever. But right. these guys, the Kanye Mo readers, are subscribing to a kind of a lifestyle that's based on a, some beliefs that they don't even have a Bible. And so you're trying to write the Bible right underneath them as they're doing oh, their thing, sort of, of it seemed it. Like, like a it. retroactive Bible. Yeah, like you're writing it as they're, you're watching what they're doing and then kind of creating the right. underlying, or trying to connect the things that we know are true to what they're up to. You're right, in the sense that it's like a, it's an origin myth, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that for something that's already existing, which all origin myths come later, I think.
You know, they're probably all retroactive. Well, they're all that kind of storyteller, that oral story tradition where you tell it and it's it, it's the telephone game. Yeah. But we're trying to be real strict. Like, I'm going to tell it, you tell it to me, then I'm going to tell it back to you and you correct what I said to make sure that I'm telling it right. We'll do that a few times before I tell it to a new person. Yeah. And then we got to keep doing it with him to, to ensure the integrity. But it's going to deteriorate or evolve along the way. Like, oh, yeah, well, we... That one rule that we had, I, I think yeah. that we should be allowed to have sex with our wife's right. sisters. Well, like now the Pope just came out a couple of days ago saying, if atheists are, are follow their conscience, they can get into heaven. It's like, what? <laughs> it's like 2,000 years of atheists getting kicked out and like not admitted to heaven. And now he's saying like, nah, you know, as long as they're cool. That's pretty Yeah, but revolutionary. I, I don't consider it as now there's all, there have been all these atheists who couldn't get into heaven i kind of but this is this is obviously our interpretation of, of a thing that we don't even believe in right. so we're trying we're trying to kind of explain what he's yeah. talking about yeah. but it, more it seems to me like hey those guys have been getting into heaven all the time we had it wrong we had it wrong when we said that uh, that people who didn't believe our thing weren't going to get into heaven what yeah. we really meant was people assholes are out but if you're cool we're going to let you in right right you don't have to necessarily be in our club yeah, some of the priests, I think, are not getting in. Let's go back to you writing the Bible for these people. Okay. Because I think that could be your next book. The Bible. The Bible for people who do this lifestyle. That the sort of you're, 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 you're on board kind of with them, but you're not right. ready to worship at their church. But I think you could still write their Bible. Well, I'm older than them, which gives me like a generational authority, but also keeps me from being in the party. It's tricky, isn't it? Timothy Leary was like that, you know. He was like a little older than the hippies, so mm -hmm. they so he so he fulfilled that sort of father figure role that a lot of them were yearning for, but you know he wasn't right in the thick of it. Hmm. Because I always think of him, I always think of him as a guy who was doing what they were doing. Older in that in that Hunter Thompson sort of like we can't do what he's doing because that mm. will kill us, but <laughs> we aspire yeah. to be similar to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he was in the thick of it. In, I mean, in terms of drug intake and and all that. Uh, yeah, I have this friend uh, Stanley. Have you heard me? Maybe? Stanley Krippner. Yeah. Yes, I've heard you talk to him and talk about him. Yeah, he's wonderful. He hung out with uh, with um, Leary, and I'll be talking to Leary's son uh, tomorrow. I think, who lives in town. I, I'm on this like children of the '60s thing. Uh, I was with Kelly Carlin the other day. Yeah, George yeah, Carlin's daughter. Do you mm -hmm. know her? Yeah, well, just a little bit. But she's in the comedy. She's in the stand-up world. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So, do you guys? Is that a community? Do you guys know each other? Generally? Well, it sort of is. I mean, the the funny thing for me is I've been doing this for thirty something years, and so when I first came to L.A., I was out and visible a little bit more, but. Uh, then when I started going on the road, I felt like, well, I'm interacting with my audience and I'm doing my thing and I don't really need the stage time in town to work on material. And I really missed out on a lot of the social interaction, oh, you know. Right. And so a guy like that we keep talking about, Joe Rogan, is a guy who I met at the Aspen Comedy Festival years ago before he really blew up. Mm. And then and then it got to be a thing where he was working the club two weeks before me and then my friend who owned the club in San Francisco would be telling me about, oh, Joe is talking about this thing that you do and it lets a 15 second high and it's unbelievable. And then now I realize that was DMT, but I didn't, 
I didn't put that together until years later. So right. we do all sort of know each other, but we don't. Now what's happening to me is I'll be working on the road with some younger guy who's in the spot ahead of me in the show, and then that guy five years later will have his own mm. TV show, right? Something. So something you, will are blow you, up like are that. you getting? Is there a mentorship kind of energy in comedy? Uh, you know, a little, a little bit. I think everybody's ego doesn't. I mean, a lot of times those guys, when I work with them, they're sort of cocky, and I'm the old, right. you know, they're tr I'm the old dog that they're trying to push off the top of the hill. <laughs> and then a couple years later, they'll realize that I that I was being nice to them, and we're friends, and they kind of like it. Yeah. So it's, there's yeah. a there's a there's a funny dynamic that can happen that way. Sometimes. I'm intrigued by by comics. Uh, I, I really am, and I feel one of the best things that's happened uh, as a result of having written Sex at Dawn is that I've sort of been adopted into the L.A. comedy, at least one part of the L.A. comedy community. Well, the funny thing to me is to to listen to these guys now and, and really feel like I know them and the, they're kindred spirits. Like, I've never met Duncan Trussell, but right. I can't wait to run into him somewhere. Oh, just You because, guys would hit it off. He's he's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, he's got this vibe and the things that he's interested in and that he likes to talk about. And, you know, it, it's... I, I think the great thing about comedians generally is people think that it's a... Um, it's a competitive sort of... Um, pack mentality where you, where you're trying to establish dominance and compete with everybody else and it's it's much more of a a fraternal kind of a thing i i feel like at least that's how i relate to the comics yeah. that i know it's like oh, we're all trying to help each other out and turn each other on to opportunities and yeah. and we're happy to hear about each other's success and i do know that there are circles of comedians that behave in that other more competitive way but I think that's that's much less than most people think, you know. And the, this idea that people are stealing material, or or even the the thing that people ask you most often just about the stage aspect of being a comedian is, you know, what's it like when people heckle you? And it's just like, well, look, are you an asshole? Because if you're not an asshole, then why do you assume that when you're not at the comedy club, it's full of assholes? Because <laughs> it's not, you know. Have you have you seen Rogan live? No, but he's got he's got this weird. <laughs> I've tried to turn so many people onto his podcast who have this idea of him because of the way he looks and right, because of the right, UFC thing. Right, and I and I'm always trying to explain like this guy has he's he's got this other aspect to many him other aspects that's super yeah. but but super thoughtful and yeah. super interested and, and 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 aware gentle. of just a broad knowledge base. Yeah. And I think that gentleness comes from badassery. Like, like you don't need to act like a tough yeah. guy if you. Well, and also having three daughters. He mm. lives in a house yeah, yeah. full of women. Uh, believe me, I've just yeah. living in a house full of two women, and I kind of get it. You have to cool <laughs> out. You're not going to win. You yeah. Never. I was talking to someone about this recently. It's like men. To me, men are like the the rocks on the shoreline. You know, we're the coast, and women are the waves. And they just wash up, and you're like, oh, no competition. But you give it a couple of years, man, and water always wins. Water always wins. Away. It's like <laughs> they're I, relentless. I have said to my wife, look, I, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do, but you're so relentless about it yeah. that I want you to shut up about it more than I want to <laughs> keep trying to make what I want to have happen happen. Yeah. 
Well, Casilda and I are are one central struggle in our relationship. We've been together 16 years, and our our fights are the same as they were 16 years ago. And it's me desperately saying, my right not to talk about this trumps your right to talk about it. You know, it, it's that, that sort of basic male-female thing. Like, I can't take anymore. Like, I can't... I, I, you just want to tap out on, I, the, yeah, on I, the conversation I, and say, look, like, we, we, we're going to resume this get later. Get back to it later. Like, yeah. this is too stressful. Or I get it. You've said it five times. I get it. You know, and... But she feels, and I, I think this is just a male-female thing. Like, she feels like her need to say it to me is preeminent. And I feel like my need to not be spoken to right now is preeminent. And the only way out of that is to have like two separate dwellings. You got to well, have which a place. that's now you're getting on to one of my other dreams. But uh, well, you've got this. I mean, you can come. You can I've come got this hide in your, your in little here. hobby hole. Yeah, yeah, it's you saw the cloud of dust that came up when you slept. <laughs> thing. If I slept in here, I'd probably be dead in a month. Well, and she doesn't want to come anywhere near this place. She's like, oh no, no. She'll come. No, all, this is where all the things that are not allowed in there go. <laughs> Every man needs needs his garage or whatever it is to go hide in. Yeah. Well, my fantasy is that uh, we all we get three tiny houses yeah you know i love those tiny yeah, houses and then we definitely. just circle them up everybody's got their own house we can have dinner in each other's houses we can sleep in well, each you can other's have a houses. central what i want to do and uh, seriously this is something we're going to be doing in spain or potentially mm-hmm. doing uh she's got her place i've got my place and there's a central place where there's a kitchen a fireplace and you know yeah that's where we hang out that's the living room whatever we have guests over whatever but we both have private places. We both have a place where I can go write. She can go do her art. If one of us is pissed off, there, you know, there's... Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the problem with marriage is there's no fucking escape. So you end up in these conversations or arguments or whatever that if you could just turn around and walk away, you would. And so it's really architecture that's the problem. Well, and I think a lot of houses aren't set up. Everybody has this idea of, like, I remember when I was younger in my 20s and I had friends who were in their 30s and I'd find out they would take separate vacations or they would Mm. sleep sometimes in separate bedrooms, and I would think that was so sad. And then last night, my wife slept in the living room because I was snoring and it was just bugging her. You know, it would be nice to have two separate bedrooms not that yeah then you can have sleepovers with each other exactly most of the time if that's what you want to do or it's nice to have an office or a place like this where it's like this is where i can go and it can be just how i want i can have all my we don't have to have a conversation about it right Right. but we've had to do that in our marriage that thing where like this converse i i don't know what i need to say to you to have you get that i heard what you're saying and then i need for you to say back to me that you understand that we disagree this is not resolved right but we're not it's not the end of the world if we just agree that we want to let's find a way to have two different things yeah yeah that's the tricky it is tricky that's tricky it is and again it's because of the i think you know you were saying i should write a bible i the i've been thinking the next book i just finished a book like two weeks ago so i'm sort of Mm-hmm. you know breathing uh for the first time in a few years but i'm also thinking what could be next and one thing i'm that it doesn't make sense career wise but it's something i'm really thinking about is a book about uh what a bunch of bullshit love is how love what we call love in this culture is mainly psychopathology and we've got 
completely unrealistic ideas of what love is supposed to be and mm -hmm. how to identify it and how to cultivate it and it's just complete bullshit so it's one of the main sources of of pain i think in our world because we've got this yeah. you know you know you read have you read sex at dawn yes so do you remember there's this section in there where we talk about uh when a man loves a woman He'll sleep out in the rain if she says that's how it has to be. Are you yeah. fucking kidding me? You know, and that's it's every breath you take and like all these love songs and movies. It's just like that. None of that's love. Right. But that that sleeping out in the rain thing is they, I think there's two ways to interpret that. One is that you're sleeping out in the rain and you love sleeping out in the rain. <laughs> and the other thing is just like the other the flip side of what we were talking uh -huh. about is like, if you don't shut up, I'm just going to go sleep in the rain. <laughs> He'll be driven you know, into the rain. We're not getting a divorce. I'm still going to be married to you, right. but I'm going to sleep in the rain. I'm sleeping or the car. I'm going to sleep in the car. And it'll be your fault. Yeah. When, and you're going to have to make soup for me because I'm going to get Sorry, sick. I'm going to get sick. Yeah, exactly. Oh shit! All right, what were we talking about before we well, veered we were off? Into we were marriage? talking about we're going to get in trouble. I don't know if your wife's going to listen to this, but no, like... I can't even get her to listen to the ones that she's been in. Oh, because she she'll come on my show and and uh, we'll talk about this or that, but she won't even listen to that. So it's an ongoing. But she'll come on your show. That's cool. Yeah, she will. Well, your yeah. wife came on your well, show only right? once, only yeah. for episode one hundred. And man, I had to really beg and plead for her to. I threatened to sleep in the rain if she wouldn't do it. Yeah, well, it was a good one. My favorite story about your wife that I've heard you tell a couple of times is the where um, she's. And I can't remember if you're with her and she's seeing patients in the one uh, crazy late crazy. I guess whatever the, <laughs> the clinical definitely word, crazy is lying on the ground. This lady's lying on the ground with her dress pulled up over her head, <laughs> and it's just sort and the and she's laughing, and then your wife starts laughing, yeah, and then yeah. you realize, oh, that's what we're supposed to do is laugh. This yeah. is funny. You well, know. that's what she does. I don't know that I can get away with it, though, because my heart isn't as clean, you know, uh, as Casilda's around crazy people. You know, I still, I, they scare me. Uh, and I'm not as, I, I'm like trying to be cool, but I'm faking it. And, but she's, that's the beauty of her. She's laughing because she sees it's funny and she's just like, I'm there with you, and and we're both laughing at how crazy this thing is. She's at the at the spontaneous right action place. Yeah, and, and I and would we've got it. that intellectual yeah. step in between. Yeah, but I would say I don't have experience with crazy people, but I have experience with jerks or 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 aggressive people or insecure people. And it started when I was, you know, when you're waiting tables and you have to deal with a bartender who's got an ego thing and won't right. give me the drink or do what you need him to do to do your job to actually serve the people who are paying to come to the rest. And a lot of those guys would do this aggressive thing. And I found that a technique when people say a really fucked up thing to you is to interpret it as if it were a joke like that's you're such an asshole that's got to be a joke right? right and then you give them this out where they go yeah i was kidding yeah i was kidding yeah. and sometimes they sometimes they were kidding and sometimes they just take that opportunity yeah, yeah. um but we kind of got off on this tangent i think because we were talking about comedians and and camaraderie and oh, how right. and the, the community. hecklers yeah. aren't that common. And yeah. you were asking me if I went to one of Joe's shows, and I was saying, "Oh, yeah, he's in a he's in this position where Dude, you're good at you're good at pulling the, going back. That's good. I'm a tangent person, also. It, My but whole, you know how to find your way back. I just, just keep going. Yeah. Well, yeah. look, we're I'm not done with Henry Winkler, so. They're, <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> now that you know he's gay, you're going to no, give him a call. No, there's more to the story that I started telling, but that's this is not the time for that. So, oh, really? I haven't I haven't been to Joe's show, but I can imagine he's got some kind of very zealous fans from this yeah. one aspect of what he well, does. Well, that's it. He's got a lot of guys who come in from the UFC. They know him from UFC, and then he's doing the stand-up, and he's this, like, left-wing feminist kind of, you know? And they do get they, do really they uncomfortable. Yeah, there's some yelling and screaming, and like they disagree with him, and he has to straighten them out. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see that. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, that to me, to me, that's the great thing about it. It's like those guys are coming and they're watching a show that they like, and the other kind of gentle, you know, meditative yogi float tank <laughs> people are coming and watching these other people get schooled, and then there's some tough stuff that everybody's laughing it's at. Intense. I mean, it sounds pretty. It sounds pretty good to me. Well, I mean, I've seen him not in L.A. Like, if you go to see him at the Ice House, right where I just was the other night, uh, he and well, Duncan the Ice did House a show. is like a it's love great. fest. Yeah, that I place. love that place. Yeah. Um, but anyway, go see him there because that, like, those people, they all know who he is. They know is they know really who he is, right? Yeah. But if you see him, like, I saw him in Vancouver and Portland. I think those are the only two cities I've seen him in. Um, and you get that mixture of people who think they know who he is, but have never seen his stand up. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what? And a lot of them are tripping, literally, and they start screaming, and he's screaming, like, shut up, dummy! Get, you know, get the fuck out of here! And people are getting dragged out. And oh, it, oh, so some it, of them have to get... Oh, sued. yeah, yeah. Because they'll get... I mean, they're, you know, these big testosterone-addled, you know, shitheads who think he's one of them, and then they're like, what? What do you mean? Like, But they're not coming from a place of... I think most people think hecklers are coming from this place of, like fuck you, I'm better, I'm going to take over the show. These guys are coming from this place of, you're not who I thought I loved. <laughs> exactly. I love a part of you, but exactly. this rest of you that I'm seeing is not that That's thing. what it is. It's, you know? confu it's confused muscular guys. But yeah. that's fame. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a circle back to that fame thing. Right. That's, right. that's that whole aspect of people who have this idea about you or like you or don't like you and feel like they need to express that to you. You know, people coming up to people that they don't like, that they're not really a fan <laughs> of, but they can't believe I'm in the same restaurant, yeah. so I gotta go and tell this person that I love their work. And then, yeah. and then you want to say to them like, name one thing. Yeah. Name, no, three. Name. One. I know you know one. Name three things that you love that this person did, and yeah. they can't. They're like, I don't know. And yeah. I don't know. But I recognize them. Yeah. Yeah. I recognize them, and so, and then they want to have a picture because it's like I need, I need to prove to other people that I actually stood next to right. this person. What? I don't, nobody I, gives a shit. Really. You give a shit, but nobody yeah. else does. Or maybe yeah. some people do. Like, oh my god. Or they want to know what what was what was Beyonce like, and it's like, how do I know what Beyonce was like? I could smell her, and I got my picture. She smells good. Yeah, she smells good, and she seems pretty sexy. But I don't know, yeah. you know, what it'd be like to be married to her. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I sometimes uh, I've heard myself tell people that I met Elon Musk. Um, You've heard yourself tell people that? <laughs> yeah. And is it true, or were you lying when you heard yourself tell people well, that? Well, I'm not, I mean, it's one of those things, right? Like, I shook his hand, like, mm -hmm. I, you know, and that's not meeting Elon Musk. Because then it's like, what was he like? And I'm like, okay, so how far do I go with this? Like, you know, 
It's like you smelling. I didn't even smell Elon Musk, although I bet he smells musky. You probably weren't trying, but in the future, yeah, I'd like I you to concentrate. I you should know, yeah. use all your senses because yeah. you're looking at him, you're listening you to him, you're touching him. Just get that one chance. You know, I should really mm -hmm. pull him in close and just get a get a good whiff of musk mm -hmm. yeah. and then whisper to him, "You smell great." I mean, Elon Musk. What a great name for a cologne. Musk is all. Remember when that was a? We're the same vintage, oh, dude. Musk so. is sex. It's right. the, the the little like musk glands of. But they used to sell a perfume that was called musk. I think or oh, an aftershave or a oh. cologne or something. Oh, this is it's taken a long time for us to get down to a point of the podcast where we actually don't know the thing that we're talking about. <laughs> but I think that's the real hallmark of podcast. <laughs> is that where you hit rock bottom? Now we're going to bounce back up. It's usually right. two minutes into my podcast where it's some. I think I read somewhere or the person said a thing. No, yeah. I don't know. Well, that's nice on Rogan's. He's got uh, Jamie there on the side the sound guy who will also while we're talking he'll say jamie look that up and jamie will live you know google it and we'll find out if we're full of shit or not but you need that guy you need a third guy you need a production assistant we're running a tight operation no, i am and you are yeah. it's like we don't i can't afford another guy no, to be doing that while no, we're, we're talking this is hunter gatherer this is all foraging going i on can't here. even imagine the conversation i would have with a person where i said hey okay so you come and you listen to me talk to another person <laughs> but you don't get to talk all right. you get to do is eavesdrop right. and try and guess what we want you to google yeah sometimes we'll ask you but don't then talk Right. And don't I don't humiliate me. So if I'm saying something that you Google and it turns out to be completely false, just keep that to yourself unless I ask. Don't you. do that. Yeah. yeah. You need a really special person there. Well, and then I mean, I, this is just an outside observer's perspective of it. But, you know, Brian Redband was that guy for a while, but he talked too much and then he got famous and then he got his own thing going. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like you lose him. It's like, no, you can't talk and get famous. That's part of this deal. Well, maybe you can get a mute someone who can't talk mm. this is actually what a lot of people think jeffrey dahmer was a serial killer but uh -huh. really he was trying to create a zombie sex slave he wasn't trying to murder those men he wanted to just create a guy who would fuck him and not talk all the time uh, is that what it was yeah that's what he was trying to do wow i'm suddenly feeling less comfortable in your little uh Oh, look, you're the guy. Now, I, this, here's the thing that I wanted to bring up to you, because I've listened to a few of your episodes where you're talking about... <laughs> There's a giant Mexican hat there. It's a sombrero. <laughs> sombrero. So we, we had a friend who was a film director from Australia staying, friends of friends, and he mm -hmm. was staying here. And, of course, it's America, and he's excited, and he bought a sombrero. But then when he had to fly back to Australia, <laughs> he realized he couldn't take the sombrero. Do you know they sell sombreros in Barcelona? in the tourist district of Barcelona, mm -hmm. and you'll see these drunken British guys walking around with sombreros on the Ramblas, and it's like, they're not even Spanish. They're fucking Mexican. Nobody in Spain wears sombreros. Right. Who, and I wanna like track down, who was the Pakistani who figured out that he could make money selling sombreros in Spain to drunken Englishmen? There's some great story. Well, there. or Americans, or just dummies. We're all sort of dummies who don't understand really where we're going and what we're doing. Uh, we get Americans there. Americans are very sophisticated travelers. <laughs> you don't think they're selling sombreros to Mexicans? To if they, you don't think they're selling sombreros to Americans in Spain? No, the only people they're not selling Americans are not selling sombreros uh -huh. to are people who live near the Southwest because right. they're like, I can buy a sombrero at the mall. Right. And who who the hell wears sombreros? I mean, no, but it's an impractical hat. That thing, I mean, if you want to try it on later, it's kind of hard. 
You know, well, it's almost like a hard hat. And a slight breeze, and you're just swept it's away. It's gone. Well, that's why you got to put the chin strap on a well, lot. But of then guys. you get, you know, then you're lifted off. I mean, it's a windy day today. <laughs> I don't think any, the Flying Nun is a great TV show, <laughs> but it's nun. not a real thing there that can happen go. to a person. The there Flying you go, Mexican. kids. Like all you kids out there who have no idea what the Flying Nun is, Google that shit, yeah, Jamie. Who's Googling, bitch? <laughs> it's not me. So, so what I was going to say about being the honor of having been adopted into uh, the community of comedians here in L.A. is, um, like, do you know Moshe Kasher? Have you yes. met him? So he's had me Moshe on- Kasher is a, is a a young comic from San Francisco. Yeah. So he's a guy who I saw coming up. Yeah. And when I run yeah. into him, he likes to remind me of, and I can't ever tell if he's doing this because um, he's he's kind of needling me or if he, it always seems like he's sincere, but he's like, you gave me this great idea or this great advice when I was coming up. And then I go, I can't, what was it? But this is advice that I gave to, to younger comics. And it was like, don't quit your day job until you have to, because you know it's better to have money and be doing your art than to be trying to get your art to force it to make more money and take horrible gigs. But the way he says it to me, it always makes me seem. It seems it. it, it I always feel like, geez, did I make that guy go to some terrible place to do some terrible job? <laughs> so anyway, I do know Moshe. Yeah, that's good advice. I think that's very good advice because things change when you need when you're making money from a thing that you love it's hard you don't love it in the same way it's hard to well i feel like the lucky the place i am with my career i mean it would be nice it would be nice to have a a few more people kind of showing up and selling out the rooms but i but i get to work in places where it's fun yeah you know and there's there's definitely comedy gigs there's comedy clubs where it's tough you know you're going to do six shows over the weekend and three of them are just going to be babysitting terrible drunks now this is after i've already said there aren't really hecklers but there are places where it's it's not even really a comedy club it's a bar where they've tricked people to show up by promising them a comedy show right it's just sort of chaos yeah and so you don't want to have to take those gigs if you're trying to aspire to to write creative things that people need to pay pay attention to to enjoy do you think is that now i know that's sort of like a standard stage of a comedian's career is playing those sorts of Chinese restaurants and you know well you do it when you start off yeah. but i mean the thing that i was along with the keep your day job advice right so that you don't have to do those gigs the thing about those gigs is the worst thing that can happen is you do so well they invite you back right because then your act become you you start writing jokes that can succeed in a bar full of drunks so they're all about you know there's sexism and racism right. and homophobia and all that stuff that that kind of people sort of subtly get inserted into their thing of you know you you it's a survival instinct like well, i'm sure is it a necessary stage of a comedian's career well it's a thing that happens well you definitely want to learn those skills of like if somebody's talking how do you what what's your mental attitude about dealing with them that's going to help to get the crowd on board and for them to be quiet and get the job done right and for me the subtext of that is always like hey I'm going to be polite to you so the crowd sees that I'm a polite person and I'm going to engage with you to find out what you've got to say and then you're going to feel what it's like to have everybody's attention and not have any material <laughs> and then you're going to be grateful to me when I make some joke that makes kind of both yeah. of us a little bit happy uh-huh. and then I'm going to go back to the show and then if you fuck with me again yeah 
the rest of the crowd is going to be tired of your bullshit. Yeah. I don't have to say this out loud because yeah. we both know it. They're yeah. going to be tired of your bullshit. And if I have to fuck with you a third time, I can actually call you whatever. I can just say this. You're an asshole and you need to shut up. Yeah. And the crowd is going to cheer and it's not going to feel good. And then if that doesn't work, we're going to tie you up and light you on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, I don't know if it was Joe or someone else who his approach to it was to say, Hey, uh, does this guy have any friends? Are any of you people sitting around his friend? Because if you're his friend, you would be telling him to shut up right now. Like right. he's humiliating himself, you know. And and that and that's a that's a subtext. You know, you can say that out loud once it gets to a point, but that's the subtext of exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Is, and and I mean, I've seen, I've seen people get thrown out of their show and their spouse stays. Ooh. Because it's like, look. You're drunk and this is terrible, and, yeah. you know. But That's this rough. is after saying there aren't any hecklers. Now I'm telling this story. I've just yeah. completely lost credibility. No, Let's go back to this world of comedians that you've this nice world in motion. Yeah, cash well, I think it's a real. I think comedians are really interesting people. Uh, you know, because there's. I mean, we're talking about. You, you were saying it's not competitive, but I, I think there is. Uh, there's a maybe it's not competitive, but it's a there's a. A need to confront fear in a lot of comedians. There, I mean, because there's there are a few things in life as terrifying as standing up in front of a room full of strangers who are all expecting you to do something that's really hard to get a bunch mm. of people laughing. There's a nakedness. I, I read recently that you know how rappers grab their balls a lot. Uh huh. I read that Jay Z, in an interview, said that rappers they get on stage and they're not used to being on stage because they're djs or they're working in studios and they get on stage and they're all these people and they feel naked and that's why they grab their balls because they're scared instinctive ball protection thing <laughs> exactly. like the ball I, I know i'm gonna get hit by this ball but i don't want to get hit in the nuts <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly um, so there's I, there's a courageousness about comedians that I really admire, and it's not just in standing up in front of. There's a lot of people who do public speaking that you know deal with that, but also the fact that good comedy is, I think, invariably about about like digging into yourself. You know, it's sort of like what we were saying about hallucinogens earlier. There's a there's a ruthlessness about. Uh, comedian's perspective on themselves and on life that I find. I, I, I don't mean to be blowing smoke up your ass, but... Well, I think you want to tell the truth about yourself, whether it's the truth about who you are or the truth about what you think. And the best comedians are are doing that. Whether Whether it's someone who's espousing their political beliefs or someone who's just going so inside and talking about their their own personal experience of being a human being, right. you know, which I feel like that's Mark Maron has kind of gone down that road a bit. Right. Why did you bring up Moshe Kasher, though? Because I feel like I hijacked, I hijacked I? him from you. You were going to tell a story about him. Oh, oh, I asked him why, why he invited me onto a show so many times. Because, like, I was on, it was Nick Kroll and... Uh, uh, a glazer a nikki glazer and so it's like four comedians and me you know and i'm like so why and was it a live podcast show? Yeah, yeah and the the upright citizens brigade you mm -hmm. know and he's had me on three or four times anyway i said to him like you know why do you why do you keep inviting me back i'm i'm grateful i love it i love meeting all these people 
He said, well, you know, you're funny, but not too funny. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like, so there's that, it's not competitive, but I think like when you have someone who's trying to be funny, but isn't a pro, it can just mess everything up. Trying to be funny who isn't a pro, yeah, that's one thing. But then also there's that element of if it, if it if you get just comedians together, sometimes it's hard. There there are definitely many exceptions, and it, and I, and by name, the, all of the people we've talked about by name so far are exceptions. But some comedians only know about their thing that mm. they talk about, and right. so their ability to then come up with new topics or relate to someone else can can be limited but right. by having somebody like you on who's got these other fresh ideas that you have some kind of a funny perspective on that's great but also it's like hey there's a log on the fire for everybody else yeah. to poke with their stick yeah yeah it's a lot of uh, making fun of me and my monkey ball conversations mm-hmm. yeah i think monkey balls are that's a good way to meet comedians write a book about monkey balls now the monkeys have the big balls and the gorillas have the small balls. Um, I know this is familiar ground for your podcast, but we're yeah. just on my podcast. Well, actually, now, when I use the word monkey, I'm I'm just doing it because monkey ball sounds better than eight ball. Because mm-hmm. that sounds like eight ball. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. some people are going, yeah, eight ball sounds like eight ball. <laughs> now you're behind the eight ball. Uh, yeah, uh, monkeys have tails, so that's the difference. Apes don't have tails. Monkeys have tails. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, the gorillas have small balls. The chimps and bonobos have large balls, mm-hmm. and that's because there's sperm competition in chimps and bonobos, and not in gorillas. In gorillas, the competition happens between the adult males who fight, and then the one who wins, the alpha male, kicks out the other males, and he's got a harem. So he's the only one fucking those females. So there's no adaptive pressure on his genitals. It. It's all on his body to win the fight, which is why the males are twice the size of the females. But in, in species where there is sperm competition, it's just shifting the field of battle to sperm cells instead of individual males. Right, and right. And so the adaptive pressure is on the reproductive tract, and that's why you get these more elaborate penises and testicles. They're still, with the chimps, though, they still have that kind of, there's a dominant... Yeah, See, but, that's how but I always describe myself. But it's coalitional. It's not. It's not like one male kicks all the other males out and has a harem. It's one male emerges as a leader of a ruling coalition, and then they distribute the resources among their coalition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the so the pressure isn't on the male to to be bigger than all the other males, so you don't get that runaway evolutionary effect, but you get intelligence. But there's a little bit of that. I mean, this is what I always say, is there's two ways to get to have sex with a lot of ladies. You can be the strongest monkey, or you can be the sneakiest monkey. Or you can be the kindest monkey. I have heard that one about the nice monkey, the the, the, the Alan Alda. one. Yeah, oh, Robert Sapolsky, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah those were baboons. Um, but Which yeah. are not really. Those are dog monkeys, kind of. <laughs> You guys aren't real monkeys. <laughs> yeah, try telling that to the baboons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's big talk here in your man cave. <laughs> Have you ever seen a baboon? Holy shit! Not. I mean, I've seen them at a zoo. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, they have that long kind of dog face. Yeah, it's like, and you big fangs. Yeah. They'll fuck you up. You don't yeah. want to get an argument. You don't want to argue with any monkeys, really, even the tiny ones. Any animal. 
I mean, I, I find, I mean, you don't want to argue with a raccoon, you know? Or, or a squirrel. I got in a situation <laughs> with a possum. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell my possum squirrel story, my squirrel story, All right. and then... Um, mutual of Omaha. Bring it around to Henry Winkler. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it back to the fawns. So, <laughs> my wife and I are upstairs. Our, our bathroom is upstairs there, right outside the window of this tree. Uh-huh. And we hear this bird outside is going it's not like singing it's going ape shit i just wanted to say ape. yeah the bird is going nuts and we look out the window and the bird is going nuts because it sees its other bird friend a squirrel's got this other bird by the back legs and is eating the bird asshole first ah and the and the bird the other bird is going crazy like stop don't do that to my friend you're good i've never seen and i thought squirrels were just eating nuts and they're just but they oh wow. squirrels are it was eating a bird i've never seen that i had never seen it either it was, oh oh jesus uh-oh this well, could be bad it's I think still recording still, yeah we had we've got wires all over the room yeah, it's here, ladies terrible. and gentlemen. A cloud of dust, and you just lost your phone thing. And, oh my god, that would be the end of a lot of podcasts, but I, not this one. I think we, we're going to power right through it. I think we're good. Sweet, yeah. yeah. So I had never seen a squirrel eat an animal or kill an. I don't know if it killed it or if it, or if the bird was already dead or fell out. Oh, or something okay. So it wasn't eating it. it alive. No, the the bird that was being eaten was dead. Yeah. But I don't know if the squirrel killed it or not. Right. So that's the squirrel story. But and I've definitely flint. You know, the squirrels come on our deck and we're trying to shoo them away from our garden because we got some other planter boxes up there. And I've flinched at them and then had them look at me. Like what? What? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be up your leg so fast. Oh, they could just grab onto your face. I mean, it's funny if you're watching it in a Will Ferrell movie or something. But if you've got a squirrel <laughs> attached to your face, that is not it's nothing funny about that's it. That's the beginning of a bad day. <laughs> you know, you're going to be going to the doctor and wishing you had killed the thing to find out if it had rabies. Oh uh, yeah. And yeah. then the possum. The possum had come in the back door to eat some cat food. I think. Yeah. And you know everybody talks about possums playing dead. They're they're spooky American yeah. possums. These yeah. New Zealand and Australian. The New Zealand possums are actually Australian possums that have come over, and they're a yeah. um, in, invasive species. In in New Zealand, the possums they're the same possums as Australia, but in New Zealand, it's run over them, kill them. You know they're like an infestation, but in Australia they're endangered. But those possums mm-hmm. look like kind of lemury. Sweet uh, things compared uh, to the American possum, which, which is, are just spooky rats, kind of with a kind of fleshy face. When they look at you in the face, they look like I used to describe as they look like a car dealer that's gotten re- reincarnated as an animal, like and they don't know what happened, but they deserved it. And uh, so, this possum had come in and was eating the cat food, and they sort of move slow and they're kind of yeah. they look at you and. But I, I want my see my wife is coming. To, I think they want to eat. Hi. Take a pause. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back after being interrupted by the ladies who are on their way to a toy store for the post Christmas sale. Yeah, I think it's a toy store and yeah, maybe some other slight adventure. Toy store, uh, sex toys or no? It's our daughter's toys, so no sex toys. Yeah. I'm not a. We're not. I don't think my wife and I are sex toy people. I mean, I think, maybe we are, and we just haven't kind of evolved to that point yet. 
do you want to hear the rest of the possum thing and then the sex toy thing, or do you just? Um, anyway, the possum got aggressive. I tried to shoo the possum You'd out. You'd be and a started... great assistant. Uh, I yeah, mean, you, I could be the guy who are the people. guy. Yeah, you would be great. Uh, all right, so you shoo the. Oh, I tried so you got sh- the fleshy used car dealer possum. faced possum in your kitchen eating cat food, and I'm trying to get it out the door, and I open the door, and I thought I could just kind of push it with my foot, but it sort of pushed back. <laughs> <laughs> because it was like, hey, I'm eating right now. That's and right. Then, so I got shit. a broom, and then I couldn't. It was it was really it liked that cat food and did not mm. want to leave. And I kind of quickly realized, look, you can't. You don't want to be in a face off with an animal because they it, they are prepared to bite you and hurt you and kill you. You don't want to hurt them and kill them, and you kind of don't feel like you feel like, look, I'm so much bigger than this thing that it should be afraid of me. But what if it's not? Yeah. You're in trouble. Like, yeah. right away. They, a possum's got nothing to lose. It's already a possum. It's already yeah. A possum. Exactly. When you get reincarnated, already what like am I going to get reincarnated? Breaking as? into a house for yeah. cat food. I mean, let's face it, you know? Well, that's a huge fine for a possum. Yeah. To be that's like, a big I, deal. You know how long I have to look around to find something this good? And <laughs> Some idiot left the door open. Yeah, and there's not part of it's not rotten or. And the cat apparently wasn't. Doing anything about this? Oh, cats are cats. Yeah. Like fuck it, I'll get more food tomorrow. It wasn't cat. The cat. I think cats can kind of see that they're overmatched. Like that thing is kind of almost as big as me, and it's mm. got a more aggressive looking face. Yeah, cat'll fuck up a golden retriever though. They got no problem with uh, you know golden retrievers. Well, but that's mostly because the golden retriever is trying to fuck with a cat. You know, the golden retriever will come over and bark at it or paw it or yeah. or try and. Well, and everyone knows golden retrievers are pussies. You know, if you're going to fuck with a dog, I wouldn't say they're pussies, but I think because I think there's they're more like simpletons. You know, they're 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 they're, they're the kind of beautiful, <laughs> well, stupid, dog. and they're so eager to please. You know, I and mean, they're bred to be eager to please. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not it's everybody's the- fantasy. That's Jeffrey Dahmer's fantasy. He was trying to create a golden retriever man. <laughs> See, I was, I was thinking along the same lines. Like this leads into a sex joke, but I am not going to touch it because I, it's I, wrong. Because we don't really want. I mean, I, I oh, only shit. know what you've told me about your wife, but I know my wife, and I didn't make the choice based on my wife is attractive, but she is not a docile no. dummy person. No, no, that's neither is. Yeah, my yeah. Well, we shouldn't be talking about our wives. This is, we've already, <laughs> we've already gotten ourselves in trouble with that. Um, yeah. But uh, wait, you were going to tell it. Okay. Sex toys. Let's go back to the sex toys now. I feel like we've covered the possums and when animals attack. Or do you want to talk about sex toys or not? Sex toys and animals. I mean that you know that's. If wait, wait, don't tell me we're a real show. You know that's what they'd be talking about. <laughs> on NPR. Wait, wait, don't tell me. I definitely have you ever had a cat that wasn't I had a female cat that wasn't fixed and when they go into oh, heat yeah. it's some serious like they yeah. need something, man. Well, so you haven't heard my cat in heat story? Oh. Maybe not. Oh. Did you do the cat yourself? Did you do a little cat? Well, I release? just told this story yesterday. Who was I talking to yesterday? I, I think it was on a podcast. I, fuck, man. I can't remember what the hell's going on. Oh, I told Kelly Carlin this story. Mm-hmm. but I, And I also told it on uh, a podcast with Joe and Duncan. And it's one of my proudest moments because it left both of them speechless. The two of them just sat there with their mouths agape. Okay, um, well. 
but, but challenges to be able to talk well, after this. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell the whole story. I keep I keep touching this chair and these sorry. clouds know, of dust. It's a little dusty in here, and I do need to get in. Well, here it's because the, the light. You yeah. know, if it was if the, the light wasn't coming, and you wouldn't notice. You wouldn't notice it at all. Yeah. Um, well, people have heard me tell the story before, so I won't go through it all again. But, you know, I, actually, I told the story. Um, have you ever heard of the Risk podcast? No. It's a storytelling podcast. And I had told a story on there that they did a really nice job of producing and adding sound effects and all this uh, about getting stung by a scorpion in Guatemala when I was tripping and a full moon. I think I've heard that story right. or a so, version of it. Right. So they did this really nice job with that. And then... Um, the guy, Kevin Allison, I think his name is, he said, hey, you're in L.A. We're going to be doing a live storytelling thing. Um, you know, why don't you go and tell your story there on stage and, you know, the live audience and all that. This Scorpion story. So I was like, OK, cool. So I go to this thing and I thought it'd be fun, you know, be on stage and a little crowd and all that. And but it's L.A. So, of course, it's it's not a bunch of people telling stories. It's a bunch of comics getting some stage time, you know. Right. So I right. show up and it's like me and um, I don't know, three or four comics whose names I don't remember. And uh, Andy Dick. <laughs> right. <laughs> who's a comic whose name you do remember. I do remember his name. Yeah. And and I, I went on right after Andy Dick. So it was like three comics doing like. You know, twelve minutes Andy's of stand-up. Story about? I don't remember. remember. I don't remember. But he was sa he was sober. He was you know, for people who don't know, I guess he's sort of famous for going off the deep end and then coming back and then going off and coming back. He was like cool. Um, but then I go up and I'm like, well, what the fuck am I doing? I I'm gonna tell some like you know heartwarming story about thinking I was dying in Guatemala and you know my last words and all this thing people have been laughing for the uh -huh. last hour. So I decide I'm going to tell, I, I just on stage <laughs> mm. make an executive decision mm. that I'm going to tell this cat story. And, you know, and there's this, you know, it's probably. It's one of your go-to stories, though. You've told it. I've told it before. And, but it's a, it's a story that, you know, you can lose the crowd pretty quickly because you're, so I, what's that adage? Like you dig a hole and then climb out of it. You know, like mm -hmm. that's a, a good story is like it starts yeah. off with people saying, like, there's no way this makes sense. And then by the end, they're like, oh, I get it. Yeah. So I sort of follow it. So I said and I had never structured the story this way, but I said, uh, yeah, you know, I was going to tell this other story, but I think, you know, it makes more sense. I'm going to tell a story about my first sexual experience, which was with a cat. And then everybody's like, uh, and then I said, well, don't get the wrong idea. It was a female cat. And then, and then I Which said, that could be homophobic. Right. When you get the politically correct police <laughs> exactly. around. Like, so, oh, so if you weren't offended already, yeah. like, what's wrong with having sex with a man cat? <laughs> and then I said, and that, now you might think it's, I didn't say this out loud, but the subtext is you might think it was rape. So I said, and she was into it. Right. Mm -hmm. So now I've really dug that hole. You're in. But at a comedy show or a place where there's comedians, you would yeah. think people would be like, hey, can I? Yeah. But yeah. they didn't want to give you the benefit of the doubt. Well, some did, I think. But anyway, the whole story, its as I say, people have heard it. But its its uh, the cat was in heat. And mm -hmm. and uh, there was a... It wasn't my cat. It was... My parents took me to their friend's house. They were playing bridge upstairs. And the, they were like, hey, go in the basement, in the family room. The cat's down there. But it's in heat, so keep the door closed. And I thought, I was like, oh, it's hot. You know, I don't know what in heat means. And the cat was just, like, dying for it. 
Yeah. And there was this pencil on the table. And I held the eraser end down, and this cat, like, humped a pencil. Just backed up on backed it. Backed up on it, yeah. And then I, I was like, oh, it's going to hurt the cat. And I pulled it away, and then the cat looked at me like, dude, yeah, come on, come on now. And so I put the pencil back down, the cat humped it, and I guess came, and then, like, rolled over and was content and happy and, mm-hmm. you know, looking at me with all loving eyes. And was like, wow, oh, that was, yeah, I, I'm good I- at this. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. We've all made that mistake. You're with that, you're with the right kind of woman, and everybody's good that's with right. that person. That's right. Yeah, you didn't know. Like any any pencil dick geek could make her come. Yeah. So, hence my nickname, pencil dick geek. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But so it's, it's which, t- So tell me your cat fucking story. Well, I don't know that I. Fucked the cat, but I ha- I've had some female cats that went into heat before they were fixed, and there really are man, they want it bad. It's yeah. every but it's every kind of those fundamentalist religions interpretation of how terrible <laughs> ladies are. I mean, you wish you would meet a lady like this, you know, just go, oh, come on, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, and so the yeah. cat, you know, just petting it, the cat's like, oh my god, <laughs> and then it turns around, and so you, the cats like to be scratched right above their tail, you know, uh, scratching it above the tail the until it's like, too much, and then they're like, yeah, yeah, sometimes right, yeah. they go nuts, and so I. I it it just occurred to me because I knew what the cat wanted. It occurred to me to do what you did, but I was older, and so it was like I knew the difference between right and wrong, Chris. Not like you. <laughs> hey, from that cat's perspective, it was all right. And who's Let to me say that it is wrong? Isn't that a thing that doctors used to do to ladies who were? Oh yeah, hysteria. Yeah, pure hysteria. And also, uh, it was nineteenth, late nineteenth century. Um, great book about that called the technology of orgasm mm-hmm. about the invention of vibrators essentially by these doctors as a way to treat more women for hysteria because mm-hmm. they could only massage one at a time but if they mechanize it you know they could and they had lines out the block you know so <laughs> get them like, like six of them lined up with one handle that they just move in a <laughs> circle no they had like steam powered vibrators and you know diesel with, like hanging on chains from you know structures they oh my god this is you know late 19th early 20th century henry ford and all that stuff you know that period right so they were applying that same thinking like well we've got this you know, huge demand for orgasm, but they weren't calling it that. They called it nervous paroxysms um, that, you know, realign the humors and the whatever. Um, yeah, it's fascinating how And it was crazy. a time when guys didn't feel like, they felt like, oh, there's something wrong with my wife. I can't be bothered. Well, it, it, it generally hit women who were older and uh, the symptoms, uh, women who were older, women who, who were in unhappy marriages, and single women. So they had this hysteria. I mean, and basically, they were just depressed and unhappy in their lives, and they went to the doctor. And they, they weren't the getting laid. Goes, well, how about an orgasm? And the ladies yeah. were like, this doctor's a genius. Yeah. You know, because they'd never had one yeah. before. Well, or they'd had them, but they weren't getting them uh, now because masturbation was a terrible sin, and it'll make you crazy. It'll rot your brain. So essentially what they did was they took, you know, the the right to sexual pleasure and removed it from women and then mm-hmm. sold it back to some of them who could afford it, mm. you know, which is sort of the, the classic capitalist trick that they're doing 
you know, I saw the other day that people are now selling bottled air in Beijing. From a Canadian guy is putting compressed air in canisters and sending them to Beijing. And there, there's in a restaurant. There was a surcharge. They were charging for the filtration of the air in the restaurant. So that's what oh they my do. God. Well, I remember. Well, you we're the same age. So, uh, but I remember when I was a waiter in college in Iowa, and the restaurant was selling Perrier, and it was like if you bought a Perrier, you yeah. were the biggest dumbass moron. Like I felt <laughs> bad. Even like we were supposed yeah. to ask people if they wanted water. We were supposed to ask, would you like Perrier or just uh, tap water? Just but disgusting. now we're buying tap water. Now we're yeah. buying bottles of tap yeah. water. Right. That's where we're at. And, and dumping the fucking bottles in the ocean. Well, the plastic thing, yeah. you know, I didn't realize this. My wife was explaining to me that that plastic, it, it degrades so slowly that for realistic purposes every piece of plastic that has ever been made still exists it yeah. just breaks into smaller and smaller right. pieces of plastic right. that then get ingested by fish and then right. eaten by and us birds. and so now we're yeah. being we're made of plastic a yeah. little in a tiny way yeah and then the plastic is like a sponge for these other toxins right yeah yeah beautiful Beautiful job. But sex we've done toys, here. vibrators are okay. Speaking of plastic, yeah, <laughs> polymer, or, or yeah, yeah. I don't know. Sex toys. Uh, I'm sure I have many sex toy stories. You know, I'm nominated for a porn award this year. I'm up for an award. I did hear award. that. Yes, I heard that in an, in a non-sex. Do you want to do you want to go to Vegas and and accept on my behalf? This is a I'm, thing that I've heard you ask other people. I'm looking for an American Indian. No, I can't go. <laughs> yeah, if you wear that sombrero. <laughs> the thing is, I'll be. I won't be the only guy wearing a sombrero with that. There'll be someone else in a sombrero. You think a, so? You know, with one of those uh, bald hammock things. <laughs> a bald hammock. Yeah, speedos. So. So, all right. Now, I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to interview you again. So uh, let me ask you. I know it's a stock question, but how the hell do you, how does a guy from the Midwest become a stand-up comic? I mean, what 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 were you trying to prove, young man? Um, this was my real goal for this was to totally <laughs> um, avoid the, my biography <laughs> to avoid it, story. Really? But yeah. Well, because it's awkward because we're going to co-release this. So, I mean... I don't, you know, it's you. Your audience knows your story, right? But they mine do. does. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just talk out half half your mouth there. I'll talk. All right. Well, just, just one channel. Yeah. Well, I was in college. I, in in high school, like when I was in high school. So we're the same age. So you know this. Saturday Night Live comes out. Yeah. When we're in high school, and it's like you can't. I couldn't believe that it was on TV. I didn't understand how something this kind of yeah. cool and so my sensibility. It, it's like they gave Kurt Vonnegut a TV show or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just I yeah, couldn't you're believe right. what was happening. You're right. And yeah. then Robin Williams' special came out, Reality What a Concept, and I had never really watched stand-ups on the Tonight Show. I didn't. I wasn't hip to that that was even a thing uh, but uh, I thought that stuff was cool and then when I was in high school I we did a Blues Brothers routine or something or Wild and Crazy Guys you know right. that sketch and some of that stuff but no real performance stuff and then I went to college I was going to be a veterinarian I was smart hmm. I was a valedictorian of my high school class in, in taking math and physics and right. all that stuff and then uh, I was going to be a veterinarian but then 
I didn't really relate to that once I got to school. And I switched to engineering because those were the kind of classes that I was good at. And then I didn't really Where'd you go? Iowa State uh-huh. uh, University in Ames. And then, then I switched to advertising, copywriting. I was in a... I, I auditioned for a play because I thought, well, maybe that'll be a fun thing to do. And I got in this play, Sexual Perversity in Chicago, which is a David Mamet play. Mm. And it's a four-person cast, two men and two women. And the other guy was 10 years older than me. He had supposedly done comedy in Chicago. And one of the women turned out to be four years older than me and a divorcee, and that was the person I lost my virginity to. That play was a big deal. How the hell did you get, with no acting experience, into a David Mamet play in Chicago? Well, it was a college, it was a university production, Uh and the guy who was directing it thought I was funny. And and Iowa State is the engineering ag college. It's not the liberal arts, you know, writer's workshop college. That's University of Iowa. So I I get, or maybe I auditioned at a time when all of the actor dudes wanted to do some other thing, or I mean, or I I don't know. Well, that's great. So four person play, and that's a lot of stage time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, but but it was really about the guy who was the director and this other actor who was supposedly a comic in Chicago worked at a restaurant, and then so I got a job off campus working at that restaurant. The play was great, like I said. And then this guy and I became friends, and he was you know, just in Iowa for a while. He had fathered this kid, and but he was, they weren't going to spend their lives together. He was going to go to San Francisco and pursue his dream, resume his dream of being a comedian. And I said, you know what? College, I, I, I can't, I'm not into this. I'm going to drop out and I'm going to go with you to San Francisco. And he had a, he had a newspaper, a Newsweek magazine article or about Robin Williams started in San Francisco at this club called the Holy City Zoo. You know, it was mm-hmm. before the internet, so that's right. what you would have. You'd have this thing that you cut out of a magazine to right. base, like, this is our quest. Scrapbooks. This, this is how yeah. we know where to go, because right. I have this piece of paper. <laughs> if I lose this, one of us has to remember the name of the comedy club that we're going <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. So he moved out, and I was going to stay through the holidays and for three more months and then save some money and then come out and meet him. He was going to get an apartment. But So you didn't have a relationship with the woman. You lost your virginity, too. I wanted to, but she was not into it. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. You know, because that would have derailed my yeah. whole life. Yeah. I mean, th- I say thank God, not in a kind of she's terrible way. No, but, in a, but you're right. She, she had the intelligence that saved me from myself at that time. The things you think you want. Yeah. Well, that's my or wedding you toast. Want. You know, when you get married, all those heartbreaks that you thought were the end of the world turn out to be lucky. Because they led you to this, right? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. to have that, to have that realization in that moment, as <laughs> a tangent to this other <laughs> comedy story that I'm telling, <laughs> but to have that uh, epiphany of like, oh, you can think that something was the worst thing that ever happened to you, and hold on to that for years, and then have it reverse and turn into a stroke of luck. You know what other things in your life mm. are you holding on to that you're interpreting in this? one way that could actually turn out to the opposite is true. You know? Yeah. So, I, my whole life, I live in Barcelona for 20-some years because I got robbed the first night I was in Barcelona. That my entire life pivoted on getting robbed. 
And at the time, I was like, fuck, are you kidding me? They got my passport. They got this journal I've been writing in for three years. Fuck. And they were skinheads. And I knew who they were. And I even went to them. I'm like, all right, you got my money. You got Just give me back. I'll buy my passport. And then they tried to beat me up. It, it was like this really nasty thing. It changed my life perfectly, wonderfully. Now, mm -hmm. who knows? If I hadn't gotten robbed, maybe I you know, would have gone to Paris and I'd be living there. You know, who knows? But, yeah, I, I definitely... The the only woman who ever broke my heart um, was a Christian, not attractive, not intelligent, um, completely incompatible in every way with me. But she dumped me and it destroyed me. You couldn't believe that she could reject you, and you it was that you. She well, she was my first like sexual. You know, I I had mistaken love for sex. You know, I was 16. What Sex for well, whichever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, because that's the that's a common. Uh, these guys who are who are with women who they're like, yeah, we're, she's not the one, but I've moved in with her and I've spent five years with her, and right. then they wind up getting married. Because <laughs> who are you kidding? Because it's connected. Like you really, yeah. you're going to separate from the person who's supplying the number one most awesome thing, right. orgasms that you've got right. in your life. It's and then you've got history. And it's hard to walk away from history. Even, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we, I, I interrupted you. So, so you uh, you, so you go to San Francisco. So he was cool with you tagging along. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were friends. Oh, okay. We were friends. Okay. But he was right. ten years older. He was a right. Vietnam vet. He was ten years older. He moved out. Had stayed with some friends who lived in the Castro, which, it, as one of my comedian friends described, the Castro, it's like, if Hitler was gay, that's where he would make his speeches. <laughs> you know? Well, and that's a tough time, right? You're talking mid-80s? It was it was right at the beginning. So I got there, and that's when, and I got this job in a restaurant, and so I was working with gay guys, and, and it was like, somebody's sick, and it's gay cancer, and yeah. sarcoma, and they didn't know what it was, and right. yes, that was I, was, I was living in San Francisco at the beginning of that, but he came out, and he was staying there with friends in the Castro, kind of looking for a place for us to get an apartment, and his friend was gay, and he just had some freak out thing, and moved back, and ran up a phone bill and owed me some money and flaked out and I was like look I'm 21 years old and I told my parents I'm dropped out of college to go do this I can't just reverse now and re-enroll I, I, I said I was going and I'm going so he was back in Iowa and I went to San Francisco on my own I had a cousin who lived there and she helped me with a place to stay with some friends of hers for a couple of months and then another guy from Iowa moved out and we got an apartment together and and then um, that guy who had moved flaked out and moved back kind of was was nice he called me and asked me if I'd started doing stand up and I had gotten a job and I was earning decent money and it was like I was sort of stage fright and 21 I was I didn't know what I was supposed to be it was before there were comedy clubs all over right. I'd never been to a comedy club right and he goes, well, you got to call one up. And so I called up, not the one that we were going to, not the Holy City Zoo, but this other place, Cobbs. And I wound up talking to the guy on the phone about, like, so tonight's the open mic, and what time does that start? And how many comics are there? And how long do they talk? And, and the guy goes, are you a comedian? It was before everyone was a comedian. And I go, well, I, you know, I want to try it. He goes, come down, I'll put you on. You know, because then there weren't enough comedians. Right. There weren't enough people trying to be comedians. Did you have material? I didn't go down that night, but I had some stuff that I had written down that I was going to try because that's why we came there. But I had just postponed it, you know, stage fright and yeah. New City, and I'd never been to Fuck a comedy yeah. club. And you're 21. So yeah. That's, that's... 
I mean, I was doing comedy on open mics and stuff. I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I think I thought, well, the people who saw Robin Williams are going to see me, and then I'm going to get my own TV show or get put on Saturday Night Live. (laughs) I remember having this epiphany. Hilarious. Yeah, well, that's shit you think when you're young and you you don't know how things work. And thank God I didn't. You know, would you ever try it if you didn't? Yeah. So uh, I remember kind of... I'd, I'd been doing comedy and, and kind of then figuring out, oh, you can get hired to MC this show and that's mm-hmm. a paid gig and there's a comedy club in the East Bay that, you know, they have three comics come over every Thursday and do a show. And I remember kind of realizing, oh, there's all of these comedians who no one has ever heard of that make their living doing right. stand-up. I right. didn't realize that that was the case. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is I get people coming up to me now after the show and asking me, is this so is this your only job? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Look, what did you pay to get in? Multiply that. How many people do you think were here? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's my only job. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, <laughs> so I'm skipping over parts. But you know, so you do open mics and then you start getting gigs yeah. and then, then you're the guy. At the time, San Francisco had this comedy competition, and in 1986, I did that and I won, and that was also at a time when. Um, they were producing the HBO Young Comedians 10th anniversary special. Mm. And that was, they were going to take people, successful comics who had debuted on the Young Comedian special in the past, were going to now, from five cities, Boston, New York, San Francisco, Toronto, and um, maybe Chicago. I can't remember exactly. And they there was a successful comedian from that place was introducing a new comic. So in Boston, it was Stephen Wright was introducing Barry mm. Crimmins and in uh, L.A. it was Harry Anderson was introducing Ellen DeGeneres and I got picked in San Francisco so Robin Williams introduced me oh, in San Francisco. Oh, that so, must have been a great moment. Yeah, my little to meet him. my little showbiz debut. Well, he was living there kind of off and on so I'd sort yeah. of met him a little bit before then but yeah. then his managers produced that show and they became my managers yeah. and my big television debut was him introducing me. I've, coming from that Newsweek magazine yeah. article, it was really... That's fucking great. It was a pretty big moment. And the... Now, I've told this story on my podcast, but because we're also on your podcast... <laughs> Sorry. Now your audience has to plug their yeah, ears. Guess whatever. Here it comes. <laughs> um, go get a beer, take a piss. So the producers go, okay, so... I'm new, you know, I won the comedy competition and was that was going to be a big leap to go from kind of doing 25-minute sets in the show to now I'm going to have to headline a show. And I had 45 minutes of material, but that was going to be a stretch. Yeah. And this Young Comedians thing was like my spot on the show was six minutes. So I had worked out my six minutes that I was going to do. And they go, okay, well, so it's the live audience is going to come in and Robin's going to do some time and then he's going to introduce you and you do your thing. And I go... Is it is there a way that we could do it where um, I just let me do my time and then we can fake his intro after and they go no 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 it's, this is it has to be a real show for so a real you're audience. going on after Robin Williams holy yeah. shit yeah. and he's ju- he's meant to do they go he's just going to do five ten minutes and then bring you up and you'll do your six minutes and I go okay <laughs> so he goes but he's on. wild you can't control him he does forty fucking minutes <laughs> oh no and. Oh, and he's killing no. it. He's sweating, he and he introduces. Yeah. He gives me a great introduction. Yeah. And he shakes my hand. I mean, yeah. you can see it. You can watch it. It's on TV. Oh, you know, you don't get to see his whole forty minutes. But I go on, and I just like, okay, I know what pitches. It's like a baseball game, but you know what pitch you're going to throw. And I just go up and I do it. I tell, I do my jokes, and that's it. There's my six minutes, and 
thank you and we go off stage and he's in the green room and and he goes oh i'm so i'm sorry i, I went a little long I, I, I won't we're gonna do a second show he goes i won't go as long as the second show he's got his shirt off because he's all they have to buy two of the same shirt because he's a real sweaty <laughs> he's guy he's like a hairy he's hairy and he's about sweaty an guy. And, yeah. and he was i was young and he was young we were young yeah. we, he, yeah. he's i don't know eight nine years older than me yeah. so uh so he's getting his other shirt on. The the crowd leaves, and maybe there were some other comedians to make it, so it was a full night. And then mm. they leave, and the new crowd comes in, and he's going to go on. And this time, he's only going to he does thirty five minutes of the second <laughs> show, but he just couldn't help himself, you know. Was he doing material, or was he just riffing? Yeah, yeah, he had jokes, yeah, he had but it stuff, always sort of yeah. seemed like he was open to right putting new jazzy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like if yeah. if they're into it, he'll make up another thing or yeah. whatever. But anyway. So that that was my um, well, was you, my but you survived. Video. I mean, I survived there wasn't it. a market come down from his. No, it looks good when yeah. when you watch it. I mean, it's old. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, did you develop? Uh, like I, I said something earlier about your rhythm. I I was struck by that. Did you have a? Did you ever stutter or anything like that? I think that kind of started off out of nervousness when I first started right. and then I realized that was really a part of me of who I was and how I express myself it's, a little it's bit. It's endearing. It's a really interesting because it's very very subtle but there's like there are these beats that go just a, a, a nanosecond longer than you think that as an audience member than you think they're going and then it, it conveys this vulnerability in you that's I think is a really it's unique and beautiful. I, and from what I saw online when I sort of looked back at your career, it's been there from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's organic. It's a. Yeah. It's not a put-on thing. Yeah. Well, I I'm, hear it even now, just yeah. in conversation. Yeah. There's a thoughtfulness that I guess you sort of like pause your, your voice while you're completing a thought or something. Yeah. I. I yeah, it's interesting to hear you kind of talk about how it, it's is making you feel but i feel like from my point of view it's about it's a kind of a it's sincerity mm. and it's thoughtfulness and it's also kind of in the moment even if it's something that i've done before it's i'm trying to tell it to these people new right. for the first time right i heard joe now talking rogan again talking about it on his podcast but i've come to the same kind of feeling that for me to, to when it's a great show when i feel like it's a great show it feels like a hypnosis thing it feels like the crowd kind of comes on to my wavelength and then we go on this big story kind of trip together yeah and then when it ends we're all kind of surprised and satisfied at how we weren't doing anything else for that period of time yeah you know it's true to to be immersed in an experience is so rare these days you know any experience without checking your phone and you know like the constant distraction and to be pulled into the mind of another person uh, for 20, 30 minutes, whatever. It's incredible. Well, and what I always say, it's a quote on my website, but but it's the, you know, people now think that they can watch everything and experience everything on their com computers or their screens. And, and there's, you have tremendous access to material that's out there, but it's it's not the same. And the difference between watching a live comedy show and watching a someone's great comedy special of a great, terrific show that they did is like the difference between having sex with a person or watching a porn and masturbating. Yeah. Like they're both 
the the results in one sense is the same yeah. for both yeah but one of those is preferable to the other one <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's an it's an immediate human experience yeah yeah well one is one is it's happening to you and i think people kind of yeah. when they're watching a comedy show on tv they think oh i'm watching this comedy show but really what they're doing is watching someone else watch a comedy that's show that's a really good point i hadn't thought about that yeah yeah have you ever met dave chappelle uh just briefly yeah his whole thing his trajectory has been really interesting well, I've seen him now do the, you know, he does these word of mouth shows and, and quick promoted shows. Right. Like I was in San Francisco doing a, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday run, and he was doing shows after my show. Like, so in the same I do club. two shows on, I do two shows on Saturday, and then his show would be at 1130 on Saturday night uh, after I had done two. Right. And so he gets these people showing up for his experience, and he'll go out and kind of, Sometimes he's writing new material, improvising, and sometimes he's kind of honing it down and making it into a thing. But it, it's a really fun thing to watch. And it's, I feel like that's where I'm at with my career now. What I want to do, what's fun for me, is to make that connection with the audience that shows up. And I'm less interested in, in doing a, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's fun to do Madison Square Garden or something. But to me, the most fun rooms are those between 150 and 250 seat mm. crowds where you feel like everybody can get on the same page and really have a powerful right. experience, you know. So you have, when, when you're on stage, you have, how clear is it in your head what you're going to be doing? Do you have, in other words, do you have like a 25 bits and you pick uh, a dozen of them based on how it's going? Or do you say, no, I'm doing this and then I'm doing that I got six things in a list or how does that work I feel like because I've my life is kind of where my career has been in, in a way meditative because I've gone to the same places multiple times to do shows under the same kind of Thursday Friday Saturday circumstance for for many years and so we're I'm trying to always generate new material and I so I cycle new stuff in, like I'll say, okay, well, this thing is, I've been doing this for a while, this is, I'm gonna pull this out, and then usually I'll try the new stuff at the beginning so that so that the show gets stronger as it goes on, and then also mm -hmm. the beginning is more getting to know you, so it kind of lends itself uh, to right. the, to the here's this is a little more conversational, and then and then it get the laughs get denser as the show goes on, right. and so for that reason, because that's how I, my process works, I, um, I have a pretty set journey that I'm going on. You know, this is this is roughly where I'm starting with, and there's more, maybe more over a weekend. Like if you came to all of the shows in uh, Portland, you they would follow the same path at, with little variations here and there, depending on if maybe if something in the audience happened or if they're particularly into it, and something occurs to me or mm. somebody says one thing and I get into a tangent, right. and I try and remember right. it have that evolve into part of the show right and so if you dipped in and you saw me now and then came to see me six months from now you know the show would be half different material maybe right. Right. but it would still seem kind of familiar you right know what I mean? right yeah yeah it's it's fascinating do, do you write uh other than comedy have you written any books or do you write i haven't you know i've, I've been kind of down the rabbit hole on the internet listening to some of these you know motivational help you know 
live your legend, find your dream kind of. There's this, there's this, there's something happening right now. Do you feel that that, that 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 that's like a career path? Like there was Tony Robbins years ago, and he was the yeah. guy who was doing that, and now now that's that's a career to become a little mini Tony Robbins, where you yeah. do c- corporate events and teach people motivational things to how to get in touch with their mojo and be the best them that they can be. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that those kind of talky helper guys preach is like, you need to write a book because then you've got this book. Because one of the other things I do is corporate. I ho- I'll host a sales conference or I'll, uh-huh. you know, where I'm me and I write material specifically for them and then I'll listen to their executive speech and then go on afterwards and do a little two minute recap of something funny that they accidentally said. And uh, so you're always looking, I'm always looking to like, how can I get more work like that besides Mm. just the word of mouth? And one of the ways that you can do that is so you get credibility by having written a book. But so that's the long answer of, no, I haven't written a book. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, anyone out there who wants to ghostwrite it for me, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, have you heard, uh, what's his name, Tucker Max? Yeah, yeah. He's got that book in a box Book in a box, yeah. yeah. 15 they... grand, I'll give you a book. Yeah. Yeah. It's holy cow. Part, part, of, part of me is like, I'd love to have written a book, but it could also be terrible. <laughs> you know, you sit yeah. down and talk to, talk to whoever he has you talk to, and 15 grand, like, doesn't sound like, maybe it works. Yeah, but, but I think there's, I mean... You know, a guy with your intelligence and and verbal dexterity and all that, uh, writing a book wouldn't be that hard for you. And it would be uh, an interesting experience. I feel like this is the, I used to have this joke about marriage, how people go, you're going to love being married. You know, all your married (laughs) friends, it's like when you go swimming in cold water and they're already in there. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on in. You get used to it. It's going to be great. You're like, oh, it's cold. Everyone I've ever heard talk about writing a book uh, says it's the hardest, worst thing I've ever done. Never write a book. And now you're sitting. I'm pretty sure I've heard you say that. And now you're going. Well, no, you've heard me say easy. both. You've heard me bitch about it. But, you know, it's nothing compared to how I'd be bitching if I had to go out and get a job. <laughs> you just wouldn't hear me, you know, like, hey, this right. cubicle sucks. Let me tell you. Coal mining. Don't do it, kids. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, writing a book, the, my favorite quote about writing is, uh, I, I, it's, I hate doing it, but I love having done it. Yeah, that's It's it. like yeah. working out, you know? It's, it's like you feel great afterwards, and there's so many, and, and that's why I think like you could write a book that would be worth reading, not just like a prop for some other shit you're doing, you know? Well, I need to find out what that book is. Yeah. So maybe while we're eating, you can tell me what that book is, or, or yeah, we we'll can figure now, it out. This is great because people are listening to it. This is the beginning of a friendship, I hope. I hope so too, um, yeah. And actually, I mean, not that this is anything that is in the offing, but I'm looking at this point, I'm looking to collaborate. I'm tired of working alone. And so I'm really open to, uh, you know, quick jobs, a three month, you know, someone who's creative and fun. And, you know, we like being in each other's company and I can bring something. They can bring something. We go to some fucking island and we bang out a book or a screenplay or I want to move into things other than massive 300 page big idea books. I've paid those dues. I'm into it. I'm ready to collaborate. And the other thing I love about this is this is usually the type of conversation that you have after you've started drinking. (laughs) 
Exactly. What are you guys going to do? We're going to write a book together. <laughs> exactly. We haven't even, we've just had a cup of coffee. Oh my God, yeah. we're in trouble after lunch. Holy crap. All right, should we, should we end on this on this up note or is there another animal sex story you so want to tell? So I get my picture taken next to the bronze fawns in Milwaukee. Oh. <laughs> and there, there is, there because, is a synthesis. Because I'm a Midwesterner and they built this bronze fawns yeah. and I'm there for one night to do a comedy show. It's freezing cold, but I'm like, I have to be taken to the bronze bonds and get my picture taken next to it. And I got this joke where I'm kind of making fun of Henry Winkler for doing these ads for reverse mortgages. And I get my picture taken next to the bronze bonds and I kind of feel like I'm, I'm going to run into... I'm going to get to meet Henry Winkler, and I can't wait to tell him not only that I'm a big fan because I am, but also about this joke that I have. That was... Uh, to the bronze bonds photo happened in November. Less than a month later, I get on an airplane. I'm flying back from Chicago. I'm in 23A. I did not get upgraded, which was slightly disappointing because I fly so much that usually I, that's a thing that can happen, but it didn't happen. I'm in 23A, which is on the window. 24C, which is the aisle seat right behind my row, is Henry Winkler. And I'm the first person on the plane except for him and his wife. Sorry to disappoint you. He has a beard. <laughs> I was going to ask if his wife had a mustache. His wife is sitting right across the aisle from him. And the flight attendant is making such a big deal about how excited he is to be talking to Henry Winkler that I can't kind of stick myself into that and say hello and do the things I want to do. I'm sitting in the window seat and I'm thinking, God, I, there's, I don't want to miss this opportunity to say hi to Henry Winkler. And, and then also, but, but he's a famous guy, so he's got to deal with this all the time. It's yeah. the downside. And he's been famous for so long. Oh, and then yeah. people are getting on the plane and I can hear someone say to him something and he goes, yes, I am. You know, so they, they're and asking. he didn't get upgraded. He, no, made me feel good. Yeah. He didn't get upgraded. And I'm think, and then he's talking. I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll get up to take a piss during the flight, and I'll say hello as I turn to go back to the men's room. And we're right about to take off, and the flight attendant comes on and says, "Hey, Mr. Johansson, you the somebody no showed. You're in first class." So I get up, and then he's, I think, well, maybe he's going to look at me as I'm. It's weird. We're they've said fasten your seatbelts. We're going to go. And I'm getting up, and some other guy's getting on, and I got to get out and get my stuff, and some other person's got to sit down. And I'm thinking that's all going to be happening. I'm going to make eye contact with him, and I'm going to say hi. I just want to, but he he realizes that this is a moment where that shit could happen, and so he is stuck into his yeah, book, right. and I can't do it. I go sit up in the front, and I never see him again. It's sad. That's tragic. So this is uh, shout outs, Mr. Winkler. Next time. It's me, Jake. Uh, he, he's, he's a I big fan. I really would like <laughs> to get a photo with you to go with the photo I have of the bronze statue yeah. of, not you. I realize that the Fonz and Henry Winkler are two different things. And only the Fonz is gay. One of his, one of it, one is a subset of the other one. The font, the gay fonts, is a subset of the completely heterosexual. See, I Henry just think, Winkler. I just think Henry Winkler's got to be gay because it, it, it just makes sense. Because America, that's the way America is built. You know, the hey, dude, the the leather jacket, that guy, he always turns out to be gay. Well, that's true. That I do get what you're saying there. Yeah. But but also. That's how you know you've Olivia made it. Olivia Newton-John. That's how you know you've made it. Yeah. 
you are famous you are famous when people start spreading the rumor that you're gay <laughs> that's when it's like holy cow and then there's gerbil gay <laughs> i mean gerbil famous yeah that's over the that's top all, that's don't try and skip level. straight to gerbil gay because that can <laughs> yeah. backfire bad backfire like yeah. that there's yeah. nobody the kardashians <laughs> Got famous by a sex tape, but if that had involved a gerbil, oh. it would have been completely gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know what you should have done. I mean, in retrospect, you, uh, you know, you know what the move I, was. I, I don't. But the move was to say to the steward, "Listen, could could just give my seat in first class to Mr. Winkler," and then Mr. Winkler looks up and says. That's oh, that's so nice. Aren't you Jake Johansson? Jake, how? And, and then it would, but then you would have had to hang out with that his wife. That sort of occurred to me, and then there was the, but his wife couldn't go, so we would have had to turn it down, or, or and even if he could, like, but it's a great intro. Also, 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 and this is not, this is, I'm saying this for comedic effect. But fuck Henry Winkler. Yeah. How much shit has he done in show business? Yeah. And what kind he of he could afford his what own kind first of magic class. world is he living in? This is all I've got is my travels around the country to these comedy clubs doing these shows over the years that have allowed me to have more status than him where I get to sit in first class. Exactly. Finally, Finally. a guy from Iowa beats the Fonz <laughs> in the race to first class. That's how I looked at it. Beautiful. All right, let's end on that. That okay. was beautiful. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And appreciate your support for the podcast, especially those of you who do it through fundwhatyoulove.com, where you can set it up to take a buck, five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you can afford, whatever you feel motivated to throw at the podcast every month. Uh, you don't have to think about it. It's an ongoing thing. You can cancel at any time, of course. That's fundwhatyoulove.com. That's run by Danny Osment, who also does the sound engineering for the show. You can find him at emeraldcitypro.com if you have any engineering, sound engineering needs. He's great. I vouch for him, of course. He's been doing the sound engineering for this podcast for over a year now, completely voluntarily. Uh, he's a cool guy. So if you have any business you want to throw his way, please do. Thanks to Basin and Range for the opening music. You can find them at basinandrangeband.com. Uh, there's a Reddit tangentially speaking discussion group. If you want to talk about episodes, throw a question at me, get a conversation started at Reddit. Just do a search for tangentially speaking, all one word. And of course, thanks to Bennett at Shore Design T-Shirts, another guy who's been supporting this podcast from the very beginning when I had about 15 listeners. He was there. He's still there. And uh, I love him. Never met the guy, but I love him. And I sure as hell love his shirts. So you can get his shirts at shoredesigntshirts.com. And of course, all the shirts that are at chrisryanphd.com are made by Shore Design T-Shirts in Thailand and packaged and shipped to you by my mom, Julie. Uh, say hi to Julie if you order anything. She loves it when that happens. And of course, last but not least, thanks to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear, Smoke Alarm, which reminds you to carpe fucking diem because you're going to die one day. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. 
to the ground. 